All right, and welcome to the first ever Royal Rumble. Head to head with that, but put it on free TV for everybody to see. Now, it's JCP's turn to get their own revenge. WrestleMania 4, coming to us from Trump Plaza, Atlantic City, March 27, 1988. And JCP decided they were going to put on the first ever Clash of the Champions on free-to-air TV as a big fuck you right back to Vince McMahon. So, what do you think about the little timeline we've got going there, Richie? It's pretty amazing what Vince did in the 80s to take over, given how much he cried foul in the 90s once WCW started to do it to him. There's two things I think you can always count on when it comes to Vince McMahon, is that once he defeats you, the narrative will suit however he saw it, and two, he will use any tactic in the book and then do anything he can to avoid having it used on him, so he's pretty ruthless, actually. I mean, it's why he won. No matter what anyone else could take him on with, including the thousands and millions of pounds that Ted Turner was willing to waste in WCW at that point, he just he, he will always find a way to win because he'll always go that step further. And it's a one-man band, so he makes the decisions. He just goes, right, we're doing that. That's it. Yeah, all the eggs are in the basket when it comes to Vince. He doesn't go half-hearted. No, and also he doesn't have to deal with committees. You know, even the, the NWA committee in the 80s was probably just as damaging one way or another as Vince was because they all wanted to put their champion through or they wanted the champion or they wanted this or they wanted that or they had this agenda or they didn't like this promoter whereas Vince was like well it's just me I'm having him we're doing that end of it's it can certainly be said that anytime more than one person has to vote there'll be more than one agenda at play and this is definitely the epitome of it Vince owns runs makes the decisions in WWF anything anything that's done goes through him and you've seen many times in the past whenever any other company tries to compete they just can't get on long enough to mount it other than WCW but in the end exact same thing once Bischoff had to answer to other people the challenge was gone and it was dead and buried before they even had a chance to regroup Um, this little head-to-head battle here is one of the few that we've got on the same night as we mentioned earlier so March 27 uh, WrestleMania is coming to us from Trump Plaza in Atlantic City it's actually not Trump Plaza it's sort of an auditorium off of Trump Plaza but that's how it's marketed um and we've got a pretty decent attendance of 18,165 uh pretty impressive there I don't think a lot of them were fully paid tickets I think Trump used the tickets as a bit of a carrot for a lot of hotel guests and package deals and comps for the casino and whatnot but it's still a good number of people watching wrestling the buy rate I had a little bit of trouble getting a definitive answer on i saw it as low as a couple of hundred thousand buys but most places seem to agree it landed around about the 485,000, which is not as high as three or five but was a pretty decent number considering there was no true main event advertised over on the other side the clash of champions came to us from the greensboro coliseum in greensboro north carolina that only drew 6,000 people and had a 5.6 TV buy rate. So a little bit hard to sort of gauge those against each other. But a 5.6, you can definitely say, was a roaring success. The live attendance, maybe not so much. Um, we've got one other little tidbit when it comes to attendances and, and buy rates and things like that. Did you know that WrestleMania 4 aired closed circuit in the Omni in Atlanta? I did not. There you go. So a little bit of a shot back at them as well. The the war seems to have a lot of little mini things coming in and out. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite surprising that uh, they would have let them get away with that. But I guess Vince does what Vince does and gets what Vince wants. Everybody's got a price. Yep, and Vince is usually willing to pay it. 
And lastly, the last little war coming into this event, I don't know if you know this either, but there was a little bit of a bidding war for the services of one Ted DiBiase the year prior to this. Um, Ted DiBiase coming out of Mid-South that was going under, um, or the UWF, uh, I can't remember which one it was at the time, I believe it had gone to the UWF by the time he was leaving. Um, Jim Crockett Promotions thought they had DiBiase signed up, um, he had verbally agreed, I believe, to a deal, and Vince McMahon intercepted and got himself a meeting. Um, a little bit of help from Bruce Pritchard, who was himself just joined the WWF from Mid-South, and Vince told Ted DiBiase he wanted to sign him up, and he had an amazing gimmick that he wasn't going to tell him about until he agreed to sign. So after a little bit of wooing, I believe Vince put on the, the royal treatment for Ted and his wife. He did a get, agree to get him to sign up, and he put him into the now-famous Million Dollar Man gimmick. And for those of you listening that don't know, the Million Dollar Man gimmick was very much treated like a shoot. Vince McMahon insisted that Ted DiBiase fly everywhere first class, was picked up by limousines, had a American Express and a surplus of cash so that he was never caught looking like anything but a very wealthy man. So that was pretty much widely considered the best gimmick anyone's ever landed in wrestling. It's amazing to think now that we have Twitter conversations where heels and faces in a feud wish each other a happy birthday. And yet in the 80s, Vince basically went, there you go. Enjoy yourself. You're the million dollar man. Can you imagine finding a better gimmick than this? I mean, I think a lot of us have heard by now the... Um the on-again, off-again argument about whether or not Terry Taylor was really in the running for the Mr. Perfect gimmick, but that pales by comparison to landing this one. This was definitely a cherry gig. Certainly, and definitely sort of like in, his, in that point of his career. I mean, it's not like he just started. He, he landed like that ultimate promotion. Absolutely. And um, as far as the other characters on the show here, we won't delve into too much, but just another couple of little bits of interesting information here. Um, Sting was a hot newcomer over in NWA, and Ric Flair very much had him him earmarked as being the top face of the company and was someone that he really wanted to work with. He and Lex Luger both on the rise here at this time over in the NWA. Um, But in the WWF, things were a little bit more complicated. Ted DiBiase was originally scheduled to win the World Wrestling Federation Championship in this tournament, but... A bit of a strange series of, of events put that to um, to bed. Originally going way back when, when Ricky Steamboat was looking to get some time off to spend with his wife, Vince insisted that he drop the Intercontinental title. Originally, Ricky Steamboat was slated to drop the title to the natural Butch Reed. However, the natural Butch Reed no-showed the event, and then it was passed over to the Honky Tonk Man. Honky Tonk Man was later scheduled to drop the Intercontinental title to the Macho Man Randy Savage. However, he thought and was on a very much a a big money spinning run, declined putting the Macho Man over and left him without a belt. And that set into into motion the series of events that led to the change going from Ted DiBiase winning the belt to the Macho Man Randy Savage instead being selected to be the next WWF champion. You can actually see, if you go back and do a little bit of digging, the brackets that were that we saw on the broadcast were not the original brackets on TV. And when the decision was made to flip and go the other way, they had to change those brackets coming into the pay-per-view. It's, it's crazy to think that they were going to put Savage sort of like in the Intercontinental belt, given how popular and how great the story after WrestleMania 4 was. It is definitely. Um, you, you, I find it hard to believe that that would have had anything other than a quick title reign for DiBiase. I can't see them giving him the year-long run personally. And I wonder whether or not, with Hogan going off to shoot, I believe no holds barred this time around, I, I struggle to see how they would have gotten through the summer with a heel champion. 
No, no, I, I, I seem to remember reading somewhere, and I can't remember which way around it is, but they definitely either firm preferred to have either a baby face or heel in charge. And I think WWF was always a, a, a baby face place with challenges to the baby face. Whereas WCW or Jim Crockett was put flair on and then always having challenged by faces, but always having a, a heel on top most of the time. Yeah, I think I think a lot of um, even prior to that in the territory days, a lot of the places were big on the face, doing the loop, chasing the um, the heel champion. Whereas the New York territory WWF always seemed to have a baby face on top for the most part. I mean, Bruno Sammartino and Pedro Morales dominated the seventies with a couple of brief interruptions, but it never really lasted long. And then Bob Backlund went on his crazy title reign, and I think the Iron Sheik took it off him for what a week maybe before Hogan grabbed it. Yeah, yeah, they, they they were always a face company, mm. but I, I guess I guess that what sets them apart. Yeah, and it seemed to work. So uh, that's what we have to thank for the likes of John Cena and Roman Reigns in this day and age, I guess. Well, yeah, they besides maybe Triple H in the Reign of Terror, I can't think of a, a long running heel continually winning feuds. No, I agree. Um, I think that's pretty much died in the wall that until the day Vince McMahon leaves the earth, that's probably the way the WWF or WWE now, I'll never get used to that, will always be. Yeah, it's always, every time, WWF. So I think that pretty much gets us up to speed. So we're up to March 27, 1988. We both watched WrestleMania 4 first, I believe. Yep, got to get it out of the way first. Yeah, absolutely. That was a big one, so there was no other way to do it. Um, So I guess we're going to head over to Trump Plaza, see what the current president of the United States of America could do as a host for the grand granddaddy of them all, and we'll see how this one goes. So should we head over to WrestleMania? Bring it on. Let's do it. 1988 will go down in World Wrestling Federation history as a day of infamy. Never before has there been such controversy to surround a World Wrestling Federation Championship match. Despite having viewed time and again videotapes of the Hogan-Andre match, the decision of the referee is, as always, unfortunately final. Therefore, Hulk Hogan is not the World Wrestling Federation Champion. However, it clearly states in the rule book that in order for a wrestler to be deemed a champion, he must either pin the reigning title holder or make him submit. That is the only way a wrestler can become champion. Therefore, unequivocally, I can state that Ted DiBiase is also not the World Wrestling Federation champion. Furthermore, it also clearly states in the rule book that a reigning champion may at any time in his tenure end his reign by publicly surrendering the title, which is exactly what happened when Andre the Giant presented the championship belt to Ted DiBiase. Therefore, Andre is also not the champion either. It is my decision that to be fair to the last two reigning champions of record, Hogan and Andre, and to furthermore be fair with the number one contenders who would have faced either Andre or Hogan as champion, I now declare the title vacant, and this vacancy to be filled on March 27th of this year during WrestleMania 4 in the form of the first ever World Wrestling Federation Championship Tournament. 
In this championship tournament, the last two title holders of record, Hogan and Andre, will justifiably be given a bye for the first round of competition. They will not compete in the first round, but will face each other in the opening of the second round of the tournament. The pairings have been completed for the first round of the competition, Before, and they said, include coming to us from Trump Jake Plaza the Snake Roberts meeting Ravishing Rick Rude, Don the Rock Morocco taking on Dino Bravo, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat will wrestle Greg the Hammer Valentine, Randy Macho Man Savage goes against the Natural, Butch Reed, Bam Bam Bigelow against the One Man Gang, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan will take on the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. It is my sincere wish that all of the participating wrestlers in this historic tournament, and more importantly, all of the fans of the World Wrestling Federation, construe my decision as the only just and fair way to determine who will be the new undisputed World Wrestling Federation champion. Thank you. Awarded to the winner of the Battle Royal. Um, as they're running this down, I can't help but notice that Jesse Ventura is out for the place pretty interesting as well. Looking very much like a crocodile in that video remember him from the classic highlight clip that you would have seen a million times with Andre choking him. Yeah, yeah, because it's, uh, it's uh, I think it might be later on. And I was like, oh, now I get you, when Andre came out. But before that, I had to pause and have a look, because I was in the Hall of Fame. And then he, then he put us off to do that joke that doesn't really work. Yeah, the whole chasing Vanna White thing. I was like, I'm not even sure if this works if I was watching it in the 80s, but I've got literally no idea who these people are you're talking about. Yeah, certainly watching in Australia or the UK in the year 2017, it's hard to really have much of an affiliation with the 1980s Wheel of Fortune hostess. From there, the Fink runs through the participants for the Battle Royal, so just a quick rundown of who's in this. There'll be the Hart Foundation, the Young Stallions, Seeker, Danny Davis, the Killer Bees, Bad News Brown, Sam Houston, the Fabulous Rougeos, Ken Patera, Outlaw Ron Bass, the Junkyard Dog, the Bolsheviks, Hillbilly Jim, King Harley Race, and George the Animal Steel. So quite the 80s lineup there. 
it's quite an interesting mix of sort of like WWF guys and NWA guys that jumped on at the end of their career. I'm looking at you, Harley Race. <laughs> Most definitely. The match gets underway, and we get a big brawl to start out. Um, Georgie Animal Steel doesn't actually get in the ring straight away, so he's hanging around the outside with the referees trying to persuade him to get in. Um, it's not immediately noticeable on commentary, and then later on there's a little bit of confusion about whether he's been in, whether he's been eliminated or not, so that's an interesting start to the Battle Royal. Yeah, it's a classic, classic Lawler tactic. Early on, we get Sam Houston and Seeker eliminated. And then George Animal Steel from the outside pulls out Jim the Anvil Nightheart. So that was an interesting elimination there as well. I wasn't quite sure if he was supposed to be a face or a heel. Yeah, it was a little bit of a strange one, wasn't it? We then get both the Killer Bees going out at the same time and the Junkyard Dog tossing out Outlaw Ron Bass. I did notice at some point somebody tried to headbutt Junkyard Dog, but because of the 80s, and political correctness wasn't quite in effect, it didn't work. Yeah, I believe the thickness of your skull is pretty well um, correlated to the darkness of your skin at this point in time. Yeah, it, it's horrendous. <laughs> it's pretty awful. Jesse and Gorilla, as we said earlier, are arguing on commentary about whether or not George Animal Steel has been eliminated or not, um, as the as sorry um, Hillbilly Jim's tossed out next. Um, we're getting... A lot of people still finding their seats on the hard cam. This is kind of one of the things to do with not having all diehard wrestling fans there, is they're wondering when they feel like it. So that didn't make for the best-looking start to the show. Dangerous. No, it's a bit almost like a, like a Vegas like yeah. show thing. Potter in, potter out, go get some popcorn. Dangerous Danny Davis is out next. Harley Race and the Junkyard Dog swap headbutts, as you were alluding to earlier, and they both seem to... Sort of rock a little bit, but definitely JYD gets the best out of the exchange. Ken Patera dumps out Nikolai Volkov. Bad News Brown dumps out Ken Patera. Boris Zukov goes out somewhere along the line. And then JYD dumps out Harley Race. So quick little bit of eliminations going on here now. Certainly a bit of ring clearing at this point to, to set up for the end sequence, I think. Yeah, we get down to our final four, and it's Bad News Brown. I'm struggling not to say Bad News Barrett as I go through this. They've ruined podcast reviewing for me now. I, I, somehow along the line, I've, I've got his name as Bad News Allen in my, my notes. And I'm like, I don't even think that's a wrestler. No, Bad News Allen, you're actually onto something there. Was his name before he came to the WWF? That's what he was known as in Stampede Wrestling. That's it. I've been listening to uh, Killing the Town, and they talk a lot about, I think, Bad News Allen. Yeah, so that's that's what he was known as before coming in. Um, so we've got him left. We've got Paul Roma, Brett the Hitman Hart, and the JYD. But that doesn't last for too long because Bad News Brown dumps out Paul Roma. He was certainly the odd man out on that list anyway. <laughs> yeah, although only the only one of them in that ring that can claim to have been a horseman, which is, uh, which is a sad state of affairs. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. JYD then does his classic spot on the floor where he's on all fours and he drops headbutts on both Bret Hart and Bad News Brown, working over the heels momentarily, but it doesn't last too long before they take over control. The two heels work over the babyface until they miscue and one of them gets dumped and it becomes a one-on-one, -on -one. but that's not what happens. The two heels actually beat down the JYD and then just toss him out. So there's Bret Hart and Bad News Brown left and they're holding each other's hands and celebrating and seemingly want to share the trophy. When will heels learn that they can't trust each other? <laughs> well, on that note, 
Bret Hart turns his back to bad news and boom, Ghetto Blaster, which in the 80s was one of my favourite finishes. It's basically a cross between a drop kick and an enziguri to the back of the head. It's like both feet hit you in the back of the head. And I just loved that move. It was a pretty decent high spot for the time. What did you think about the ghetto blaster? So really, I'll let that one go for being a kicky finish. <laughs> I thought it, it looks like it can hurt. Yep. And he neglected to spin just for you. <laughs> yep. You'll have to spin out. Good man. <laughs> so that, that'll do it. Bret Hart goes down. Bad news. Brown picks him up and dumps him to the outside. Howard Finkel announces that the winner of the trophy will be Bad News Brown. I notice when Finkel's making the announcement, he doesn't actually get off his chair, and it just takes some of the gravitas away from the situation in my eyes. It's uh, it's like, well, Vince doesn't care. They don't care. I don't care. Yep. There's a trophy. The referees come in and hand the trophy to Bad News, but no, it's short-lived. Bret Hart gets in, knocks Bad News out, and drop kicks the trophy. That's an interesting choice of property destruction there and flying drop kick. I'm going to say, when I, when I wish to cause damage to other people's property, I tend to uh, do a drop kick and then maybe drop an elbow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if if um, you ever have a bad breakup out there, don't key the car, drop kick it. <laughs> and film it, please. I was thinking, uh, I, I, I have a feeling that what happened here was bad news. Brown basically said, I ain't carrying that trophy anywhere. Because <laughs> if they win it, I think they have to carry it around. And so that, that's why they give them such a ridiculously big trophy. So they have to carry it through airports. And I think he just looked at it and went, no. Not a I, don't even, I bet he didn't even check with anyone in the back from what I've uh, read and heard about bad news. He probably just said to Brett when he won, just smash it up for me, please. <laughs> well, he does that, but with some a great deal of difficulty, he struggles to break this trophy down. They were obviously made of sterner stuff than the um, the present-day ladders, tables, and chairs. Yeah, or the, the, the uh, Andre the Giant, I think that got smashed up at one point. I think that looked like it had been made out of cheese. <laughs> Yeah, this this whole angle, I just I'm watching it and I just thought childhood. I didn't actually realize going in that the battle royal was first, and it was one of two matches I was very much looking forward to. I um I absolutely love this finish to a battle royal. It's one of them things that is just always going to be vivid in my mind. So this was brilliant. Coming out of it, this was actually a little bit of a tester for the first ever Bret Hart singles run. So this was something Vince and Bret had discussed on and off because Bret was always very popular despite being a heel at the time. The crowd obviously here got behind him in the smashing of the trophy and he went on to do a little bit of singles on house shows before Vince got cold feet and pulled him back into the Hart Foundation. He actually did work some of the loops with Mr. Perfect later on in the, um, in the next year, but it wasn't to be. They put the Hart Foundation back together for one more run. Bad News Brown, if you are to believe his word, is that he basically stuck stuck by all the way through. He was promised by Vince a title run at one point in the company and was meant to be the top heel. So he was meant to have a big money feud with Hogan, take the belt and go on a bit of a run. Uh, obviously, that never happened. He did have, a, I believe, a Saturday night's main event against Hogan. But that was this was pretty much the highest profile moment of Bad News Brown's WWF career. So overall, what did you think about the Battle Royal? It was all right. I mean, I, I don't think the camera work was particularly great, which I think took it took it out a little bit because battle royals are very confusing at the best of times. But I think it was it was a, it was a, a battle royal of its time. Yeah. I mean, they 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 were doing what they had to do to battle royale. I mean, they're always a bit limited anyway because they can punch, kick, and do that. I'm going to fake throw someone over the top rope bit. Yeah. As far as battle royals go, it's up there with. Uh, Davy Boy winning in Royal Albert Hall for my childhood memories. You know what? I've probably never seen that one either. 
Um, so then we get Howard Finkel reading as the rules of the tournament. Um, if you've never seen the show, it's a 14-man tournament because Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, um, tied up with the controversy with the title being held up, were both given a bye so they could meet in the second round. don't know why they weren't going to meet in the first round, but that's the way it was. Um, Hogan ain't jobbing to no first round. No, absolutely not. And if you don't know the history behind the title, just very quickly, what happened was Hulk Hogan beat Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3. Um, Andre continued to chase him for the belt. Ted DiBiase offered to buy the title from Hulk Hogan, who said hell no on WWF television, which was interesting, way before Stone Cold. Um, Andre then was put up to having another match with Hogan with the idea that he was going to sell DiBiase the belt. They got a second referee in, so this is where the debut of Earl Hebner comes in. Dave Hebner was currently a referee on television. He, um, I believe, got knocked out, was out of it. Earl Hebner runs in, counts a fast three on Hogan, whose shoulders were off the mat. Andre's given the title. He immediately hands it to DiBiase, but President Jack Tunney says hell no, holds the title up and declares it vacant for this tournament. So that's a very quick rundown of how we got to WrestleMania 4. Finkel runs through the rules of the tournament and introduces Robin Leach from Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous. Who opens up the tournament with champagne wishes and caviar dreams. It's a level of celebrity again that completely went over the top of my head. I recognised his voice, but... The name of the uh, show he was from, I thought, was a song by Good Charlotte in the early 2000s. So I was a hell of a confused. I actually have... I know the name Robin Leach and knew it was Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous. I always thought it was a woman. I I recognise the voice, but I think he was probably from adverts from the 80s. Because he was acceptable at the time. It was acceptable at the time. And speaking of the 80s and someone that I certainly don't want to give hugs to, it's time for Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I've just got Dear God, it's Duggan, versus uh, from from the last show, one of his dads. I've just got Fuck, it's Hacksaw. <laughs> it's just, even, even at this point, you just you just know what you're going to get. Yeah, I know. It, it is what it is. Um. Did you know, this is something I learned listening to the, the Bruce Pritchard podcast before we get into this match. Obviously, we're in the first match of the tournament here. It's Hacksaw Jim Duggan up against Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Ted DiBiase had a feud around Mid-South that consisted of every gimmick match imaginable at the time. I think I've heard about it. I've not, I don't know what the matches were, but I, I seem to remember like at one point Jim Duggan was actually considered a wrestler. I believe it may have been during that time. However, since I've never watched it, I don't yet believe it. So, Duggan comes out down the ramp for the match. Still no music for him at this point, And it is a hell of a long walk down this ramp. Um, Then we've got Ted DiBiase, and he comes out with both Virgil and Andre the Giant, which the announcers seem a little bit surprised about. And they make that long walk. Jesse Ventura on commentary ponders whether or not Ted and Andre would fight if it came to that. So that's interesting there, a little storyline plot we could see. It feels natural when he says, when they say stuff like that, it's like they just throw things out, whereas now every time they say something on commentary, I feel like they're just uh, setting you up every time. They never do any misdirection. It's like, oh, Roman Reigns is coming out, but what could he be doing? And it's like, well, you've just given it away, haven't you? 
whereas they're allowed to get on with it more, I think, in the 80s. Vintage Orton. Now look what's trending on Twitter. Like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's just, it's just like Jesse. In fact, all the commentary there, they're setting things up that may never happen, but it makes it feel like it's real. It was very much focused on the show and the possible outcomes of the show, and I definitely preferred it that way. They get started with some punches, because how else would you start a Hacksaw Jim Duggan match? And Gorilla Monsoon, with the, the classic line that the guys at OSW always loved, can you hear the yo's? So, they're not saying that, Gorilla. I, know, I never quite understood how Hacksaw could say it, but nobody else could. Literally no idea, I don't know. Hacksaw is an entire enigma to me. <laughs> Hacksaw hits an atomic drop on DiBiase that sends him out. He goes back in and Hacksaw nails him with a clothesline before DiBiase takes over on Jim Duggan, pounding away, hitting a big clothesline, a second rope elbow, and then a fist drop, fist drop from the second rope as well for a two count. Uh, Hacksaw fires back with a sunset flip, believe it or not, for a two count. It was uh, pretty unbelievable. Jesse Ventura on commentary was very surprised by this as well. He expressed the shock to the level of which I couldn't even do justice. He then, however, does scare the shit out of me and make me dread and ponder when he says, don't you think it would be a disgrace if Duggan won the title? (laughs) Truer words have never been spoken. Even David Arquette WCW winning the title is more deserved. <laughs> yeah, Duggan would probably think that he blo- he deserves a lengthy title reign. He'd get it because he never gets pinned. That's true. He'd still be, he'd still be a champion now, 30 years later. Him, Bad News and Ronnie Piper could just do triple threats around the loop. Yep, no one would no one, no one lay down for anyone. Duggan fires back with a suplex and a big clothesline. I noticed at this point as well, the crowd's really hot for this, so I don't know if it's just the fact that it's the first match of the tournament, Andre's out there with DiBiase, or whether Duggan is really that over, but they're quite into it. I noticed Duggan was spamming his taunt like he was playing Here Comes the Pain at one point, which, again, like we said in the last podcast, he does get the crowd going. I don't know how, I don't know why, but he he does that. USA chant, they love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he hits a big slam, and then he goes into his three-point stance, but Andre grabs his leg and trips him, um, and then knees him in the kidney. This allows DiBiase to nail him with a fish drop for the one, two, three, and holy shit, Hacksaw Jim Duggan just got pinned. Yep, I saw that, although I did notice the dozy sod couldn't, was just kicking out. He was like, one, two, three, kick out. And so it wasn't even like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lie here properly, I'm going to let you pin me, and then I'm going to be straight back up. Yep, and immediately gets his heat back, grabbing the 2x4, while both Ted DiBiase and the Giant decide to get out of dodge, because Hacksaw's 2x4 is a deadly weapon. Yeah, because uh, Andre hasn't legitimately beaten up men for less. We then go backstage and Mean Gene Oakland interviews Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And this is an interesting Brutus coked up promo, so we might play that one for you just here. Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Brutus, this is incredible. What a package. Where do you buy these clothes? Where do you get something like this? What is that, fishnet? You don't get these down on the boardwalk, brother. It's Beefcake. It's Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And I know you won't forget that honky-tonk, man. You'll never forget that. After tonight's all over with and done, I will be the new champion. What about (laughs) Jimmy Hart, the mouth of the South, manager for the Intercontinental Champion? He has interjected himself into one of the honky-tonk band's matches more than once. Yeah, yeah, he's interjected himself, and I've got the fine steel blade honed to the sharpest edge. 
for Jimmy Hart if he was to get in the way of these blades. Snip, 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 a little off the side, a little off the top. Oh. You never know, it could happen to you. Yeah, that promo is complete madness. I, I, I'm not sure it's possible for anyone's eyes to stay that open for that long without some kind of performance enhancing of some kind or another. I'm, I'm not sure it enhances his performance. <laughs> well, let's face it, you can't make it any worse. <laughs> Just don't get on a subway if he's around, that's all I'm saying. Oh, Bruce the Barber Beefcake. No, no matter. It's just, and it, it's like Duggan for never getting pinned, and Brutus for always having a job up until I don't know, probably late two thousand. From there, though, we go to what I found to be a little bit of a sleeper match on this show: Dino Bravo up against the Rock Don Morocco. So, um, Don Morocco comes out with superstar Billy Graham, and they come out to a very generic cover. And now I vividly remember they at the time came out to Jesus Christ Superstar, so that's been dubbed over on the network, obviously. What an absolute mental wrestling entrance. That's madness. I never knew that. Yeah, no, it's um, it's interesting what the uh, the mind of a child will retain. So I definitely vividly remember that from the late 80s, early 90s watching this tape. I mean, it can't be any worse than some of the modern ones. My personal f- biggest defender at the minute is Luke Harper's, where it's like, right, you split with the Wyatts. And he's a redneck. Okay, we'll play a bit of slide guitar. Send him out. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a big fan of Dean Ambrose's theme. It's like, you know, a car revving bit done with musical instruments. I just think it's fucking stupid. So, coming out for the entrance here, Superstar Billy Graham and um, The Rock Don Morocco, the first thing that springs into my mind is, holy fuck, steroids. Yeah, yeah, they're, I don't even, I think even probably Billy Graham is probably still on him. He just looks like a really wrinkly walnut that also looks like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> well, actually, that's not fair. Hulk Hogan looks like superstar Billy Graham. Indeed. Really, I guess. Indeed. And Morocco is fucking huge. He is an absolute tank. He looks like he ate a tank. He is fucking massive. He, look, he looks like the Incredible Hulk, but just without the green. It, it's not a good look. It, it, you're not, it's not surprising how many of them uh, sadly passed away from this period of time, given the amount of Probably cocaine, steroids, and then something to make him sleep. You would not think out of this match that the only one still alive is the one coming down on the uh, walking stick looking like he's knocking on death's door in superstar Billy Graham. No, but I think it's just hate that keeps him alive. So we open up the match with a big clothesline by Don Morocco. Unfortunately, then it botches a splash off the second rope, but he does get a one count out of it. He hits a nice backdrop and an arm drag, but misses the second arm drag and allows Dino Bravo to take over with a couple of elbows. As um, classic Gorilla Monsoon commentary here tells us that Dino's really hit a different level since coming under the tutelage of Frenchie Martin. Yeah, I think I missed that bit, and I certainly didn't understand what the Frenchie Martin bit was about. That's his little manager on the outside. This is pre-Dino Bravo getting with Jimmy Hart and Earthquake. I was out look out for them. He hits a nice gut-wrench suplex, um, but misses a knee into the corner, which allows Morocco to go onto the leg of Dino Bravo. Hits a nice spinning toe hold before Dino kicks him off, and um, he gets flung into the ropes here. Goes over and does the um, the hangman spot a la Mick Foley, which was definitely interesting for WrestleMania 4. It's a bit dangerous. And then from here, we get a little bit of a flashback to the last episode you and I recorded, the um, the King of the Ring episode. Do you remember a little conversation in the Jerry Lawler match where I talked about Dino Bravo ruining the pile driver? Yes, I did. And he hits it as a transition move for a two count. 
Yeah, the pile driver. It is a game over move. Yep, and it's just used here in the middle of the match. Um, he goes for a second one, which is reversed, and then the, they hit each other with a double clothesline and both have a little bit of a lie down there. It makes me wonder if they forgot somewhere along the line they were supposed to reverse the first one. Yeah, Dino Bravo was notorious for it back here, so I wouldn't be surprised one way or the other. Morocco then comes back with a flying forearm, a nice body slam, before he comes for another forearm, and Dino Bravo pulls the referee in front of him, and um, The Rock checks on the uh, the referee, allowing Dino Bravo to hit him with his patented side suplex, a la Gorilla Monsoon, and the referee calls for the bell while Frenchie Martin and Dino Bravo celebrate, but it is very premature because Dino Bravo has been disqualified, allowing The Rock Don Morocco to advance into the next round. What did you think about this one? Uh, well, I, I actually quite enjoyed it. I wasn't looking forward to it when they came out because I didn't really know much about them. But yeah, it was a good, fairly decent match from two guys that looked like they probably couldn't move, did. And uh, I particularly liked, because there's a clash on, that they, they attempt a bit of a dusty finish. Yeah. I actually, I surprisingly really liked this match. I don't have memories of anything of it as, as a child. I mean, but watching it now, I was pretty impressed for 1988 WWF and with the size of these two guys although Dino Bravo could always go this was not too bad so big thumbs up for me. Looking, If I was looking at the card I definitely wouldn't have had this as my uh, one I'm looking forward to but so far yeah it's definitely the, been the match I enjoyed the most. From there we go to Bob Uecker who's handling the backstage interviews for the night and this time he's with Hunky Tonk and Jimmy Hart who cut a bit of a promo on Brutus Beefcake. Nothing too much to note here. What did you think about the promo? Standard Honky Tonk promo really is uh, I, I, the thing is I've watched so many shoots with Honky Tonk it's it's weird to watch him actually be a wrestler because <laughs> he insults people so well in real life oh, he's brilliant. when he does his promo it's slightly disappointing I, I'm, I'm not entirely certain what this backstroke thing was that they were doing I think it must have been a bit of a rib in the back Yeah, because he, he got swimming off doesn't he yeah it's a bit of a theme for the night so obviously there was a bit of an in joke around the um, snorting table <laughs> Yeah, around the buckets of cocaine that were provided. Yeah, I just imagine all the WWF guys in char- in full gimmick and character sat around a table a la Scarface. Either that or uh, sort of like uh, they feed horses for, but have the things full of cocaine instead. <laughs> Nosebads. From, the, from there we go to our next match, which is Greg the Hammer Valentine up against the Dragon Ricky Steamboat. And a little trivia note for you here. Because he has officially entered into the tournament for the WWF title, Greg the Hammer Valentine is now the first wrestler in WrestleMania history to compete for the tag team Intercontinental and WWF heavyweight title. I can't think of anyone less deserving. <laughs> I fucking hate Greg the Hammer Valentine. I hated him before he went on his uh, misogynistic rant last year and I just hate him more now. <laughs> I think if you just give him 15 minutes to warm up you might change it to tune. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like watching paint dry. I mean, I mean, and then on top of it, his hair's insulting me. <laughs> Wait till it gets dyed black. You've got to come back on for WrestleMania 6. You're going to fucking love it. Whenever whenever he appears in whatever I'm watching, because he's in uh, WCW probably 96, and like every now and again on Nitro, and out comes Greg the Valen- Hammer Valentine. I'm like, oh, really? Really? <laughs> Do we really need this? Uh, it's brilliant. He, of course, gets a jobber entrance, so he's definitely um, fitting of that. And we get Ricky the Dragon Steamboat coming out with his son dressed up as a little dragon, who is a little bit of a baby, so um, very cute for me to see around about this time. For those of you that haven't heard, I had my second daughter last week, Brooklyn, and she's um, 
I've not dressed her up as Ricky the Dragon Steamboat yet, though my first order, Mika, was once dressed as the Ultimate Warrior, and I knocked on my brother's doorstep and left her sat there as a baby. So that's an interesting tidbit for you all there. Congratulations, mate, on all of that. <laughs> I um, I did put in my notes, so this was before my daughter came. I was, obviously was feeling it like a bit of a prick. I put, God, I hope the hammer puts a figure four on the baby. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the... Uh... He actually became a wrestler, didn't he? But I think he got injured. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, Richie Steamboat. Richard. Yeah. Uh, and also, wouldn't that... I don't know if that's the, the child that actually killed Steamboat's push. The one he asked for time off after WrestleMania 3. I'm assuming he I, is. I'm pretty sure the timeline would fit. I'd like a little bit of time off, Vince, because I've just had my firstborn, and wrestling isn't my be-all and end-all right now. Well, goddamn, sir. <laughs> And then there goes your push. So the match gets started in classic Steamboat fashion with a couple of lovely arm drags before Gorilla Monsoon refers to Ricky Steamboat as the excellence of execution. So something he actually called a lot of guys back then, but it's still weird to hear it on anyone but Bret Hart. Yeah, I noticed that. I thought a bit of uh, pre-foreshadowing there, but I wasn't sure. Je- uh, Jesse Ventura basically just cuts right to the chase on commentary and he says, I think the hammer should cheat. That's <laughs> sound advice. But I wanted him to cheat because the match had finished quicker because as much as I like Steamboat, I can't deal with that dozy idiot. <laughs> Steamboat continues on the hammer with some nice chops. Uh, we've got a little bit of a battle between two former Intercontinental Champions here, which is another little storyline twist for this one. They have a bit of a quick pace with some good shoulder blocks and a body press. Um, Ricky Steamboat's tossed over the top rope, but he skins a cat, comes back in and hits a drop kick, but then botches a roll up for a two count. Yeah, I've got those a botch somewhere. The hammer then takes over control, begins pounding on Steamboat, hits a nice elbow for a two count. Steamboat avoids a charge in the corner, puts on an arm lock before the hammer comes back with an inverted atomic drop and a clothesline. And Gorilla Monsoon tells us that's going to affect the external occipital protuberus. So I butchered that, but probably so did he. I'm amazed he managed to say that because I can't even think it. (laughs) Greg Valentine reverses a slam for a two count. Uh, before he hits a nice headbutt to the bollocks on Steamboat and hits him with a... Um, they, they go into a bit of a chop fest here. They both just trade them back and forth. It's pretty brutal, actually. Again, it's, it's, it seems out of place. It's almost like they're, they're trying to just sneak in things from the, uh, the other side. Just in case anybody's thinking about flipping over to the Clash or... Or doing something, they're like, oh, let's let's make this look like proper wrestling. And then, of course, we take a page out of Ric Flair's book, or, you know, Valentine was doing it around this time as well. The sequence comes to an end with a big face flop by the hammer. I wondered, again, whether Valentine was doing that at the time, or whether, again, it was another, like, F.U. to uh, JCP. I'm pretty sure it was one of his patented bumps. Definitely later on I saw him do it a lot, so I'd assume he's always been doing it, but it's hard to tell. Valentine hits a thumb to the eye and a nice shoulder breaker for a two-count. Before we get a top rope chop from the, from the dragon, a back elbow, and then another top rope chop to the head for a two count. Dragon hits Valentine with 10 turnbuckle shots. Before he and Earl Hebner wrestle a little bit, which was a little bit weird, goes up top, hits a top rope crossbody, but Valentine rolls through it, holds the tights, 4 a 1 2 3, and Ricky Steamboat is very unhappy with the referee, but he's been eliminated clean as a whistle by Greg the Hammer Valentine. That's what you get for asking for time off. Oh, yeah. But that was probably the upset of the tournament. Yeah, I've just got, why the fuck did you let the useless lumpy clunge win? <laughs> Overall, though, I, I didn't think the match was too bad. W- was this one of your better outings for the Hammer, or did you still hate it? Bearing in mind the Hammer's in there, it wasn't that bad. But overall, I wasn't that sold on the match. But I just I just can't. There's just something about him just screams generic, boring, and ups the literally tens of Greg the Hammer Valentine fans in the world by saying that. <laughs> I can tell you from my um, recent 
foray back into collecting of wrestling figures, Greg the Hammer Valentine is very much sought after by the Mattel collecting community. They're dying for a Hammer Elite. That's just because they want to see if anyone would be stupid enough to make it. <laughs> and if anyone like me would be stupid enough to buy it. And the answer to that is yes, and probably yes. <laughs> we then get a 12-year-old looking Donald Trump shown at ringside. Holy fuck, he is young. Yeah, I'm assuming he sat there thinking about, uh, what, what's it, uh, fake news and building a big wall between them and Mexico at that point. Although he probably does it because at that point he's probably using a lot of Mexican workers for all these buildings. So he's quite happy about the lax immigration laws at the time. Yeah, I think he... Um, he <laughs> I, 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 we're going into dangerous territory here, but I'm not so sure he'd be happy with some of the ethnic mix on this show. <laughs> no, it wouldn't seem so right now. <laughs> We then go backstage to um, Gene Oakland interviewing the British Bulldogs and Coco Beware, and we get a pretty awful promo. Um, they've got Matilda and Frankie, and they talk about going weasel hunting against Bobby the Brain. This didn't do much for me. How about you? Uh, I-, I quite liked it, but it's just because it's pure cheese. Plus, at the time, I was telling uh, telling the wife to Jake the Snake rib that he pulled on the uh, Bulldogs with Matilda. I don't know if you've ever heard that one. He fed a laxatives, didn't he? Yeah, and he's outside the door going, knock, 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 and the dog's going, woof! Uh, the bulldog's certainly not above pulling a few ribs himself, so... <laughs> now, I don't think Jake particularly did it, but I think they just annoyed him. And that's the thing with the quiet ones. Don't push him that far. From there, we go to our next matchup, which is the natural Butch Reed with Slick up against the Macho Man Randy Savage with the lovely Miss Elizabeth. Slick dances in the ring to a very bad knockoff song. Um, certainly wasn't Jive Soul Bro, which I was a little bit disappointed by. If they're going to overdub, I wish they'd just throw that on everything. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it just works. They're, they're rich enough. They should just pay for the rights. It's not. It's just people are watching old stuff and getting the wrong music music and then having crowds don't uh, the volume of the crowds lowered so because they can't cut it properly it just i think it ruins some events or definitely moments absolutely um we've got savage and liz coming out in a lovely royal blue get up so pay attention to that one because it's not going to be the same all night we start the match with reed reed hitting knees in the corner followed by a fist drop a big suplex and an elbow for a two count so the naturals on the offense early he tosses Macho Man to the outside. When he comes back in, he hits a second rope fist drop and another big clothesline um, before he's caught going to the top rope. So a bit of a surprising move there. He's press slammed off. Macho jumps straight to the top rope and hits the lovely flying elbow for the one, two, three, and a pretty quick victory for the Macho Man, but he took a lot of punishment. What did you think about that? Uh, I've yet to see, I think, a, a bad Macho match. I mean, admittedly, I've not got to 99 WCW yet, but he's just a ball of energy even when he's selling he's always moving and it's never it never feels like he's just waiting to do his next move it was like he's just selling and the elbow drops just a classic and it's amazing how many people can't do it and then we go backstage to Bob Uecker with Bobby Heenan and the Islanders. Another promo that wasn't the best considering Bobby Heenan was involved. He's wearing a, um, a dog catcher's outfit, so heavily padded, and the sleeves come way past his hands. And that's slightly amusing, but it's not amongst his best work there. No, no, it was a little disappointing, especially uh, given it's, it's sort of like the prime of his career as a manager. Yeah, again. So next match is the one-man gang, pre-Akeem, up against Bam Bam Bigelow with his manager, Sir Oliver Humperdinck, who looks like a full-size version of the little guy on the He-Man film. Now, yeah, that's, that's a blast, blast from, from the past. past. Dolph Lundrum as He-Man in the Masters of the yeah, Universe. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, 
it's got to be my top 10 favourite 80s crap films. So... Oliver Humperdinck aside, this match is um, a couple of guys, bigger guys that can really go. Uh, the music dubs are terrible for the introduction, so we won't get into that again. Uh, the one-man gang attacks nice and early and hits his big avalanche before missing a second attempt. And then Bam Bam Bigelow comes back with a shoulder block. And just to show that he's not your generic fat man, does a cartwheel before getting a two count. What I particularly like is he's quite, quite camp. camp. I, 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 I can't, can't believe Bam Bam, Bam was, was around... around. At this, this point, point, looking, looking like, like that, that in, in the, the WWF, because he, he, he couldn't, couldn't look more mid-90s ECW if he tried. <laughs> well, he, he could fit in over here these days. The amount of people with face and head tattoos in Australia at the moment is staggering. Well, uh, it's, it's a shame, shame he passed, passed on and he, he could, could never have a great... Yeah, I guess you could just call him a, um, a trendsetter. So he hits a crossbody for a two-count, a clothesline and a headbutt before Slick pulls the ropes and Bam Bam takes a sick-looking backflip bump out. It was really nasty-looking. I'm surprised he was injured from that. Yeah. The ref then, in a very interesting choice of how to enforce the rules, begins to count Bam Bam Bigelow out, who gets up to the apron, but the one-man gang on the inside of the ring just starts beating the shit out of him from inside, and the referee, showing no mercy, continues his count, gets to 10, and fucks Bam Bam straight out of the tournament. I think, I think this is an example of we've got 14 guys to do matches for and we need 14 kind of different finishes and then Bam Bam just got the count out, keeping him strong. There's a million ways to do this though. The referee can get to five, be slightly distracted by the gang, Slick could smash his knee with the cane and down he goes. Like, and that's just off the top of my head in 10 seconds. Like This made the referee look like a complete moron. Um, and then we get to the commentators throwing to Gene with Hulk Hogan, um, who does a bit of a dog paddle and a backstroke in one of the craziest, most famous coked-up promos of all time. I've, 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 just just have, I've, I've heard, heard this promo on so many podcasts. It is, it is the, the most mental ramblings of a coked or steroid-powered bald hooks you'll ever get. get. On that note, let's just let everybody hear it in all its glory, hey? All right, over the last couple of months, it has been very difficult for me to introduce this man without using World Wrestling Federation champion, Hulk Hogan, here at WrestleMania 4 this afternoon. You've got the opportunity to change that. Oh, yeah, it's been hard to live with, man. Fee, five, fo, fum, Andre. One long year, and your time has come, man. No marks, no scars, no blemishes on the Hulkster, brother. But inside, man, I've been scarred for one long year. Everywhere I go, man. All the little holsters ask me, is there any truth to the fact that there was a controversial count? Holster, did you really get him over your head? Did you really beat the Giants? Well, today, man, in WrestleMania 4, we're going to wipe all that controversy out. Andre the Giant, in the second round, when you're fresh as a daisy, with the whole world watching, I'm going to prove, brother, that I can beat you anywhere, anytime. And all my Hulkamaniacs, they're going to feel it, too. Speaking of the Hulkamaniacs, Hulk Hogan, we have seen him here in Atlantic City, and I know millions others are watching very intently all around yeah, the world. but if you looked in their eyes, man, have you 
you seen the fear in all those little hunksters? They realize that when I get Andre the Giant cinched up in the launch position, when I slam him through the Trump Plaza, brother, from New York down to Tampa, Florida, the fault line is going to break off. And as Andre the Giant falls into the ocean, as my next two opponents fall to the ocean floor and I pin them, so will Donald Trump and all the Hulkamaniacs. But as Donald Trump hangs onto the top of the Trump Plaza with his family under his other arm, as they sink to the bottom of the sea, thank God Donald Trump's a Hulkamaniac. He'll know enough to let go of his materialistic possessions, hang on to the wife and kids, dog paddle with his life all the way to safety. But Donald, if something happens, you run out of gas, and all those little Hulkamaniacs run out of gas, just hang on to the largest back in the world, and I'll dog paddle us, backstroke all of us to safety. Oh, and thank you, Hulk Hogan. Let's get back to action. Yep, so that's it. Uh, there's not much more you can say about that. It's a thing, and it happened. happened. <laughs> From there, we're going to go on to Ravishing Rick Rude up against Jake the Snake Roberts. And Rick Rude, in one of my favorite ever heel moves, cuts his in-ring promo, which, excuse me, which I always loved. Um, and the does flub it a little bit when he says the odds are in my favorite. Yeah, yeah I noticed that. Uh, I thought uh, somebody's, somebody's been partaking, partaking in the uh, truth, truth table, table before, before he popped, popped out, maybe. maybe. So we've got to somehow get someone that can do a bit of Photoshop and just get that Coke table done up for us. Um, from there, we get uh, Jake the Snake coming out to his theme. So this is the first match that had two good entrance themes between Rick Rude and Jake the Snake. Um, Jake's ominous theme was always great, only bettered probably by his heel theme later on. Oh, yeah, I, I love, love those themes. themes. The, yeah. uh, it just, it just fits, fits in perfectly, perfectly and, and no, no one, one else sounds like it. it. It's just... just it's, it's not, not all rock, rock guitars, guitars or uh, whatever, whatever else they fancy doing that week. week. Yeah. The match has a, a good little um, opening sequence, which differs from usual. When they go for the lockup, and Jake just sort of sidesteps Rude, who goes face first into the max. He'd overthrown himself. So that was a cool little opening segment. We get some pretty serious DDT chants early. So I was surprised. I kind of, going back, remember this show being in Trump Plaza and thought it wasn't really a typical wrestling crowd and they just popped for Hulk, but... Jake's DDT here was mega over. They were really into it. Yeah, yeah I, was I was surprised, surprised about the... Because at some, some point, it sounds like, like the crowd's almost fighting. But, but stuff like this is definitely a crowd popping. I guess... I mean, it just depends how loud the wrestling fans are. Rude hits a couple of slams before Jake fires back with a couple of slams of his own. Um, Rude avoids the, uh, the big back body drop from Jake, who goes onto the arm next. Jake comes off the ropes with a knee, and Rude avoids a DDT. And then we get a classic 80s staple, which made me smile. We get the crisscross. You just, you just don't, don't get, get a crisscross criss anymore, do you? I love me a good crisscross. Um, in fact, if I ever got into a WWE ring with anyone on you, that'd be the first thing we'd do, crisscross the shit out of it. Um, Jake hits a body slam, so that's five body slams so far in the match. Um, Rude comes back with a clothesline and a throat thrust before locking on a chin lock. Comes off the second rope with a forearm. Hits a clothesline and goes back to the chin lock. Um, hits a flapjack, so it's all Rick Rude at the moment. Hits a top rope fish drop then for a two count. Goes back to the chin lock. Before Jake comes back up, but he's still in the chin lock. Rude keeps a hold of it. Pounds away on him. Another chin lock, and the crowd is starting to get pretty restless at this point. 
there, there, there was, was a lot, lot of chin locks. locks. It, it goes, goes from, from being like, boo, this is, is beat be down, Jake's sake to, boo, now I'm just bored of you doing a chin lock. Yeah, this is fucking boring. It, it is mind-numbing at this point. Um, Jake comes out of it with a jawbreaker, hits some punches and a backdrop, a short clothesline, and signs signals for the DDT, and the crowd are absolutely gagging for the DDT at this point to put them out of their misery. But Rude blocks it, and then Jake gets back on offense, hitting a gut buster for a two count. They, they, they should have called an audible. Yep, I agree. Rude comes back with a fold-up back suplex for a two count. They hit a double clothesline. Rude goes for the pin with his feet on the ropes, but the referee is slightly more on the ball than the dickhead in the last match and catches him out. That says the referee has ruled this a draw. Both men are eliminated. Again, 14 men. Pat Patterson had run out of finishing his big book of finishes. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just have a count out and just get rid of him. Yeah, it was just, it was not the best match. This was probably, at this point in time, the worst match on the show so far, so... I was, I was really, really looking, looking forward, forward to it as well, well. but uh, it just didn't work. work. I don't know why. This was a pretty lengthy feud as well that never really seemed to bring a, a good match. So some guys, like, they can be individually good and just don't click, and I think this is an example where the feud was far better than any match ever was. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. I also think, think that they knew they, they would both get counted out and probably thought, well, we deserve better than this, so, so fuck it. it. Yeah, I guess so. Um, did you know that this... I, I, it doesn't actually show on the network, but somehow in the swap from this to going into the next segment, Jake the Snake takes his snake to, at the time, Donald Trump's wife, who went absolutely mental and basically lambasted security for not shooting the snake. I missed, I missed that completely. completely. That's, That's disappointing. disappointing. Well, I don't think they actually show it. It's just a story I've heard many times where yeah. she basically said to the security guard, I think the quote is, you should have shot that fucking snake. Well, well I'm, I'm not surprised... surprised. Jean's backstage with Vanna White, and they're by the tournament brackets. Um, she picks what she believes will be winners for each of the second round matches, and actually puts in some pretty solid picks. I think she's got some insider information there. It's almost, it's almost as if they've told her what to say. say. Um, we then go to our next match, which is Hercules, and he's facing a first-time WrestleMania, uh, a debuting at WrestleMania, the Ultimate Warrior. I fucking love the Ultimate Warrior, <laughs> and that run down that ramp, holy shit, that was amazing. Everything I've ever read or know should mean that I should think he's an absolute piece of garbage. But then he comes out and I'm like, ooh, warrior. Yep, he's just, he's just childhood in a bundle. Now, this is a guy in a comic where it's insinuated that he's possibly raped Santa, but it doesn't matter because it's, it's the warrior. If the warrior raped Santa, Santa deserved it. There's no, no argument with you and your ultimate warrior fandom, is <laughs> None at all. Um, he's still getting his look down pat a little bit here, though, because he's got a weird headband on, hasn't he? Which just looks a bit out of place, but it doesn't take long for him to sort that out. No, no, no he's, he's, he's almost there. Him and Hercules here, they're competing for the, the biggest roided body since The Rock came out earlier. Warrior just, just looks like he's about to pop out of his skin. He's just... Madness. Because you can tell, he's not, not meant, meant to be, be that big. big. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we get an exchange of, shot, uh, of shots in the corner, trading backwards and forwards, but the Warrior's no-selling here. He hits, uh, gets hit by three clotheslines by Hercules. The first two are no-sold before he goes down on the third. Warrior then fires back with a clothesline and some chops. Hercules comes back with a backdrop, uh, knocks the Warrior out of the ring. It's a little bit clunky, and they go to a bit of a brawl on the outside at this point as well. I had that they, they weren't, weren't exactly, exactly clicking, clicking, but 
it's uh, you're not, you're not watching, watching this for Melsa five star. Are you? What, 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 what you see? What Warriors gonna, gonna do? Yeah, I think he's still getting his offense down, Pat, as well, because it really was a bit of an ugly mess. This one, the crowd count loudly for a ten punch spot, so they're definitely into the Warrior here. Um, Hercules fires back with an inverted atomic drop, locks on the full Nelson, but the Warrior kicks off the corner to to over to sort of flip it over, gets both shoulders down. And the Ultimate Warrior pops his up at two to get the win with Hercules still on the mat. A little bit of a finish reminiscent of Bret Hart and Roddy Piper. Obviously not quite as fluid as that, though. And the Warrior picks up the big win on his WrestleMania debut. Well, well you, you can't, can't argue, argue with uh, him getting, getting that, that win. win. I mean, I mean the, the crowd's, crowd's already going through him. And he's, he's just, just a, he's just he's just a force of nature. nature. And then in a moment that would certainly get Daniel Bryan fired if he tried this, Hercules gets in the ring and begins choking the Ultimate Warrior with a fucking chain. Warrior, though, gets back in control, gets a hold of the chain, and swings it like a fucking madman. Hercules was lucky not to get his head taken off. The Warrior was never accused of working lightly in the No, and unfortunately for him, it was he that wore the brunt of it this time, because he actually does clock himself in the head with the chain, which made me crack up. We then get a bit of a strange sort of cut from this segment, which leads me to believe this is probably where A, they had an intermission on the night, and B, where if you hired this on VHS back in the day, it was actually a two-tape thing. You had two different VHSs. That's probably where it ended. Correct me if I'm wrong, if, if anyone out there knows, or if you know, Richie, but it was definitely a strange cut there. I noticed the cut, I wasn't sure why, because it's going to like a video package. Yeah, um, we, we get the commentators talking Hulk and Andre, and then they go into the video history rundown of all the stuff I, I talked about earlier with the title changes. Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, is it as bad as Snoop Dogg and uh, when, when he was, was no, no, Kid, Kid Rock, Rock, the Kid, Kid Rock, Rock concert in the middle of the WrestleMania of the year? We then come back, and what I believe is probably the start of VHS number two, go to Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan, and holy fuck, the Hulkster is over. You forget because he's the book of so many jokes now, how popular he was. The Hogan was massive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing to note here is that even though Hulkster is really over, Gorilla Monsoon does my head in overdoing it. The greatest athlete in professional sports, the, mo- the most powerful force in the universe... The- Biggest dick known to man. Like, you just can't stop blowing him. Yeah, he's, he's a bit, bit over the top. top. Hulk Hogan has got, got the worst fake talent of all time. I believe, um, thinking back to my childhood, my mum, when we were in England, had a tanning bed, and I reckon that might be where he's been. Tanning bed. That's Favourite things as a child, because the, the deal I had as about a six or seven-year-old in, in Manchester was if I keep time and go and tell them mum when to turn over. I could stay up late and watch wrestling. Perfect. I watched the Royal Rumble 91 under this agreement and was probably up about six hours past my bedtime and it was fucking amazing. <laughs> Speaking of childhood fond memories, I'll just throw this in before the match gets underway. I absolutely adore Andre the Giant. Our, our, our first, first show would have been in the Princess Bride. I've never seen the Princess Bride. That might be after something we watch for, for a review, I think. Yeah, he's got a good life story. So, Andre, big fan of him. I know a lot of people like to talk about the Andre before the back injury and, you know, how great of a worker he was. I liked him as a giant. I've got to be honest. I believed it as a kid, and I still to this day can watch an Andre match even with limited mobility and enjoy it. Um, Andre gets on the offense early before Hulk fights back and hits a classic 80s move, the double noggin knocker. Andre and Ted DiBiase's head together. Comes back with some chops uh, before Andre in 
typical Andre fashion, gets himself tied up in the ropes. And then all, all you have, have to do is move his hands, hands to let himself out, but he just can't seem to work, 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 work that out. This allows Hulk to do the big shirt rip and then starts hitting some punches while Andre staggers around the ring, goes down to one knee. Um, Hulk eventually does get him down, but he absolutely goes down in installments, so that, there's that. He um, hits three elbow drops before Andre manages to clock Hogan and in a nasty move that gets ooze and ass from the crowd, drops his ass under Hulk Hogan's chest. That, that, I, I, it's, it's one, one of those, I can't work out how, you work, how they... they don't hurt each other yeah, it doesn't look pleasant at all. I'm not sure I'd be game to lay there. No. no. Um, we get some more chokes from Andre and the classic nerve hold while the crowd really solidly start chanting for Hogan, who works himself up, the classic Hulk up, hits his punches, goes for a slam, but DiBiase gets in the ring with a chair. Hulk gets a hold of it before he can get nailed, though. Um, basically, then smashes Andre with it. Andre kind of staggers a little bit, but grabs a chair and smashes him back. And we get a double disqualification. I was a little disappointed with that, but I guess they had other plans. Yeah, I guess so. it's, it's a way to get them both out without anyone losing any credibility, I think. Hogan, of, of course, never just lets a match end on a decision. Chases DiBiase and Virgil up the ramp. DiBiase throws Virgil to the Wolves. And then he hits him with a suplex on the ramp, which did not impress me at all because it's just on the floor. But Hogan, you know, it's okay for someone else to take a bump, but he just drops him from the standing position and could have really fucking hurt Virgil with that. So, you know, fair play to Virgil for taking it. But Hulk, if you're going to give someone a suplex, at least go down with them, you prick. It seemed like five or ten minutes was just Hogan playing as the crowd as if he won. That's exactly my next note. It's just I've got long posing. Um, It just goes forever, doesn't it? Or is he out there trying to get the crowd all popped out. Um, we then go backstage with Gene, who's with Macho Man and Liz, who are both in pink now. And Savage, in a, in a thing that surprised me here, referred to himself as one half of the Mega Powers. I didn't know they'd formed that alliance and that name at this stage, so that surprised me a little bit. No, I didn't. I, I, thought, thought, uh, I, thought, I thought it was after WrestleMania 4. Yeah, I believe they'd, they'd teamed up. I think Hogan had saved Savage from the Honky Tonk Man and the Heart Foundation, but I didn't realise it actually formed a proper team at this point, so learn something new watching these shows. The Macho Man, yeah, again, just over We then get the Rock Dom Morocco up against Ted DiBiase, and because of the previous results, the winner of this is going to go straight to the final, so a lot at stake in this one. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've just, just got the Ted's hair, hair is amazing. <laughs> and The Rock manages to grab it and drag him into the ring to start the match. Clothesline, an elbow drop, and a lovely power slam. Um, the only note I've got really against Don Morocco at this point is I fucking hate his Irish whips. He just does it with one hand. That just looks stupid. We um, get a, a second rope fish drop for a two count by Morocco, a snap mare, and then does the Mr. Perfect flipping uh, neck snap, which was quite cool. Um... It's a standing drop kick for a two count, another cool move, before um, DiBiase sends him over the turnbuckle and takes over control. Um, he hits a clothesline for a two count, a fist drop, um, chokes him while breaking on the before he gets to the five count each time. Morocco comes back and DiBiase begs off, but he catches the rock coming off the ropes, drops him throat first onto the top rope and picks up the one, two, three, taking DiBiase all the way to the finals. What did you think? I enjoyed the match. I particularly liked the fact that it wasn't that the, oh, I forgot the name of Stunning Steve's finisher or almost. Stunning Steve's match. 
Yeah, you know what's funny? I've I've just started to watch Raw for my for my next episode. Um, it's one of the nineteen ninety six ones, and watching this episode of Raw in this day and age, he hit the stun gun, and I thought stun gun, stunning Steve. Hang on a minute. I bet that's why his finisher was called the Stunner. I never thought that. Fucking hell! <laughs> I hope I hope everybody else thinks that because otherwise we're going to come across dense. That, that, that period. Yeah, it, it's looking good. Um, so as for this match, DiBiase gets himself all the way to the finals, and Don Morocco two matches, two decent matches, and um, really outlived what I thought he could do. So fair play to Morocco here. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely uh, proving he could go, go in the ring. ring. I don't know uh, what, what they, they did with him afterwards. afterwards. And then we go to Bob Uecker with Demolition and Mr. Fuji in an absolutely awesome classic 80s promo. It's, uh, it could be more 80s if you tried. So we go from there to back to the ring, and the one-man gang who's got to buy as a result of some of the, the previous results is in the ring to have himself announced as a winner, which I thought was very strange. Yeah, this show definitely doesn't need to do. No. no. From there, we go to Greg the Hammer Valentine, who's walking out while that announcement is being made. So that's two for two on the jobber entrances for Valentine. Yeah, yeah it's it's like, like, just, just, just get, get him out. And he's taking on the macho man, Randy Savage, who have come out with Elizabeth in pink this time, as we alluded to earlier. Macho man goes on to some quick offense, a snap mare, a couple of knee drops, before Valentine comes off the top rope with a forearm, a couple of elbow drops, and picks himself up a two count to get back on the offense. Hits a shoulder breaker for a two count, and tosses Macho Man outside the ring before coming off the apron with an elbow drop. I wonder, thinking about Greg Valentine, I bet he probably wrestles a lot of these back. I think he probably mid-south. Yeah, absolutely. He's just there to make him look good. Yeah, they go outside the ring and they brawl a little bit. Valentine hits a series of elbows, which is pretty much his trademark maneuver. A vertical suplex for a two-count. A backbreaker for a two-count. Before Macho Man bursts to life, comes off the top rope with an axe handle for a two-count. Runs into a Greg the Hammer back elbow. Macho Man comes back with a suplex, a top rope axe handle, and then a gut punch uh, on his second attempt puts both men down to the mat for a rest. But it's not to last too much longer, because when he gets up, Valentine goes to put on the figure four leg lock. Macho Man turns him for an inside cradle, picks up the one, two, three, and advances in the tournament. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the right decision. Yeah. And reasonably quick match with not too many rest spots, so not too bad for me this one. It was passable. Matcho winning, job done. Absolutely. We then go to Gene Oakland with Vanna White for another rundown of the brackets. Nothing much happened there. And it's time for our intercom. Oh, sorry, go on. I'm not sure what Gene says, but I've just got Gene I think she says she likes him or something, and he does his typical Gene. <laughs> just picture Gene Oakland hitting on your mum. Jesus, that's not good. <laughs> We go to Honky Tonk Man up against Brutus the Barber Beefcake, and my note just says, fuck's sake. Like, as if a four-hour show needed this in the middle. I think this might have been a beer stop. Honky Tonk does come down with Peggy Sue and Jimmy Hart, though. A little bit of a, a trivia note for the show as well. Do you know who played Peggy Sue? No. no. Sensational Sherry. Jesus. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't recognize her. No, I, d- I never recognized her as, uh, at all. Um, I just remember it from shoot interviews and things like that. It was Sherry. But yeah, she does a good job dressing up because you can't tell. No, no I never, never would have got, got that. 
Jesse Ventura um, does has no attempt whatsoever to hype up the Honky Tonk Man. His actual quote is, what this guy lacks in ability, he makes up for by being lucky. <laughs> Truer words never spoken. Um, Beefcake's got no music yet either. Um, Gorilla Monsoon says that he's got a wild look in his eyes, and yes, we know he does and why that is. Yeah. Jesse Ventura says that Prince is a big fan of his and if you um, read anything about the death of Prince in recent years you'll know that that could actually be true because when going through Prince's belongings they found a lot of unreleased unpublished wrestling documentary scripts that he'd been planning on making I never, I never knew, knew that. that. Yeah. Another interesting little tidbit there. Brutus hits an atomic drop here. Um, his hair's a mess as well. Uh, no, sorry, his hair's not a mess. He messes up Honky Tonk Man's hair. Uh, can't read my own notes there. And that seems to really infuriate him. Um, this is definitely a very slow house show match, just playing to the crowd and no real moves. I don't, I don't even think, think that, that uh, if, if you, you went to see this in a house, house show, show, it'd be acceptable. No. He hits Honky Tonk Man with 10 turnbuckle spots, hits a leapfrog, which really impressed me, and then as Honky Tonk Man bounces back off the ropes, the future booty man nails him with the hiney. And we are seeing the future in front of us, and it's not not orange. (laughs) They each miss a series of moves. Honky Tonk hits a fist drop, Brutus hits a back drop, and then locks in the sleeper. But before he can be counted down, Jimmy Hart gets on the apron and smacks the referee in the back of the head with the megaphone. And I believe I've read this, and again, anyone out there, feel free to correct me when I'm wrong. I believe the referee, I think it was Joey Morella, was legitimately concussed from that shot. Did look pretty vicious. So then, as the referee's on the mat, no bell rings, no one announces him the winner, but Beefcake lets go of Honky and starts celebrating like the fucking idiot that he is, and thinks he's won the match. Yeah, well, if, if the, the Honky Tonk man, man, man's out, you could just stand, stand there for like a week. week. Yeah, yeah, which, which is, is exactly, exactly what you would do in, 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 in a sports situation. So then he realises that the referee's out cold and starts to chase Jimmy Hart, gets a hold of him and begins cutting his hair and he fucking butchers him. <laughs> Another future Beefcake reference, didn't even mean that one. Uh, but yeah, he destroys him. But he's, he's the, the smallest scissors in the world. We then basically get more refs coming out and eventually they pry Beefcake off him. He, they stop him getting a hold of Honky Tonk for a haircut. And I'm not sure which one of them is actually disqualified, but it's the end of the match and there's no title change. The winner, the winner is the audience. So next we go backstage and it's Bob Uecker with Andre the Giant in the classic often shown clip that we talked about earlier. What did you think about that? I loved it because when I realised what was coming up and it was from the... Uh... Is it from the Hall of Fame advert? And I was like, is it? Is it? Yep, there we go. Yeah. It the was... size of Andre's hands. This is what makes Andre a, such a such a such uh, an attraction. It's just the size of him. So, like, he's just every part of him's like, giant size, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is just brilliant 80s wrestling, so I loved it. We then go to Bobby Heenan and the Islanders up against the British Bulldogs and Coco Beware. Bobby Heenan, as we mentioned earlier, is in the dog catcher's outfit. And um, we get into the ring and Dynamite's onto the Islanders really early with some quick offense. Um, very much Dynamite kid style here. Arm drags, backdrops, um, slingshots Tama over the post before tagging in Davy Boy who comes in. Hits a body slam, which I've mentioned before. I hate Davy Boy Smith hitting a body slam when he's got a running power slam finisher. Misses an elbow drop, and this allows Haku to come in before Davy Boy nails him with a crossbody and another slam for a two count. It's a good match, this. I've seen a lot worse in current WWE. Absolutely. 
Um, Davy Boy hits a crucifix, favourite move of his, his back in the day for a two count. A snapmare before he puts on a chin lock. And Gorilla Monsoon hits his favourite 80s catchphrase of it's a happening. It's like he's got a checklist of things to say. And it's <laughs> like, I've done that one. Yeah, this was a favourite of mine. Um, Tama comes in, Bulldog hits him with a huge press slam before Haku comes back in, and so does Coco. Beware, who hits a drop kick and a headlock sort of leg, leg scissor takedown. Uh, he takes both the Islanders down without one of them in a headlock, one of them in a head scissors. Uh, Dynamite comes in and hits a rough clothesline. It really fucking nails one of them uh, before Haku comes in and hits him with a big face kick. Jesse Ventura says Heenan looks like a Chinaman with all that on in a line that certainly wouldn't be uttered today, but we are in Donald Trump's favourite arena. It's a... Uh... <laughs> It's another one of those where you go, hey, I'm not, not, I'm not sure you'd be allowed with that one now. No. Uh, Heenan comes in just to stomp on Dynamite Kid before Tama gets back in, and he um, has an awesome porno stash going on, which I just couldn't take my eyes off once I noticed it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a thing of beauty. He hits a backdrop, a slam, and then the Vader bomb off the ropes, but Dynamite Kid gets the knees up, tags in Coco before Haku comes back in and takes over. Um, nice top rope chop. Heenan comes in to kick and put the boots to Coco uh, before Dynamite Kid comes in. The Islanders both come in and the Bulldogs brawl with them, and the referee is distracted with the British Bulldogs while the Islanders slam Coco beware, pick up Heenan and splash him onto Coco for the 1-2-3, allowing the Weasel to pick up the cheap victory in a very cool heel finish. They, uh, I wasn't expecting it because I, I figured it's WrestleMania. You've got three faces, two with that, well, uh, with animals. They're probably going over. And they actually gave the win to, to Bobby, which I think was actually probably better storyline-wise, maybe. Yeah, Heenan's a bigger star than anyone else in this match at this point, so I was very happy that he picked up the victory. Yeah, it was odd because he's not managing anyone else for any of the tournament, I don't think. No, it's in this weird period where Andre's more with DiBiase than with Heenan, uh, but that doesn't last too long. No, no, they swap quite soon, I think. Uh, the Islanders, uh, sorry, the Bulldogs then chase Heenan up the aisle with Matilda. does allow him to catch up and sort of act like he's biting him a little bit. Nothing really to it. And then uh, Fink announces on, on the house mic Jesse Ventura, who gets up on top of the announce table and poses to a lot of crowd pops. They fucking loved it. I, I wasn't sure why he was having a flex off, but obviously Hogan had done something to upset him. He was like, right, well, I don't like you, Hogan. I'm going to have a flex off. I dare say Jesse's got slightly more over than Hogan's. Yeah, yeah, I think he... Uh, they definitely... Well, I guess it's that thing of it's like a ex-wrestler doing commentating. They they always get a pop when they're sort of like even teasing going back into the, to, to doing wrestling, which I think he was, he, was, he was known for doing at this point, I think. So like teasing on when I, I might come out of retirement, yeah. even though it was impossible for him to. Nah, that was quite cool. I enjoyed it. Fink then does the the second in-ring announcement of a bye with Ted DiBiase in his very shiny silver and pink suit, which I loved. Getting his hand raised, he's heading to the finals, as we mentioned earlier. Just, just using a little bit more of that time. One Man Gang goes up against Macho Man Randy Savage for the other spot in the final. Macho and Liz come out in black this time, so they're in their third different outfit of the night. Um, and we've got here... That Gorilla Monsoon says that to Jesse Ventura, you've made a lot of good points about the gang, but you didn't mention Hart. And Ventura immediately quips, Bret Hart? He did, uh, 
you just you just miss that now. It just, it just feels so natural. It's not not fed. It's not like listening to uh, some of them on Raw or Raw and SmackDown. You just know they're being fed lines. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Macho Man in an interesting spot early grabs the one man gang's beard and jumps over the top rope, hanging him on on the top rope throat first, which was pretty cool. It certainly thought about it. He's like, I've seen a beard. I know what I'm going to do. Gang, though, gets back on offense and pounds away on Macho Man. Hits a nice slam for a two count, an elbow drop for a two count, another slam, but misses a splash and misses an avalanche. Goes to the outside and allows Macho to come off the top rope with an axe handle to the floor. Back in the ring, the gang grabs a hold of Macho and hits him with a, a big lifting choke. Before Slick argues with Liz, the referee distracts one man gang who attempts to use the cane and just keeps missing Macho, who's rolling out of the way right in front of the referee and gets him self-disqualified like a moron. Again, I don't think it does any favours for one-man gang to lose that way. You can lose by DQ by hitting Macho, man, and it sets up something for the for the next match, but just missing him. Yeah. It's like an idiot. Um, we then get... Um, the gang and Slick having a cuddle in the middle of the ring, a bit of consoling, and Macho Man comes off the top rope with an axe handle and nails them both, sending the one-man gang on top of Slick. Um, This was a little bit of a dud, and even Gorilla Monsoon called it stupid. Yeah, yeah, when when the commentators, what's the classic Jim Ross, bowling shoe ugly, then you know you're you're in trouble. Yeah, the less said about this, the better. This was a, a bit of a low point for the pay-per-view. Um, we've then got Gene with Vanna White backstage. Um, more more of the same, really. Um, Bob Uecker's been chasing her all night. She doesn't know who Bob Uecker is, and it's a joke that got old pretty quickly, so we've not really carried on about it too much. I've just got, and the punchline is in, and it is shit. Absolute <laughs> shit. There we go. Um, and then we go to a match I was quite looking forward to. It's Demolition up against Strike Force, Tito Santana and Rick Martel, the defending WWF Tag Team Champions. seen one demolition match before that now and uh, strike force just appear to be like the most serious baby faces they're like they if you had to say say what is a baby face tag team you go strike force and martel as a smiling baby face is just wrong to me who grew up in the midst of the model rick martel yeah yeah i mean i don't know how far that is away so i was thinking that name sounds familiar and then i was like no oh he was no he was a heel most of the time that i know of that starts about a year from now um, in, a, in an angle that I mistakenly remembered happening in this match, but it doesn't. It happens later on, so one day we'll get there and talk about that. Smash works over Rick Martel in the beginning before Axe comes in and uh, gets Tito Santana in. The faces take over and they hit a nice double elbow, double clothesline, and Martel comes back in and hits a couple of hip tosses. They do some quick tags in and out, trying to get quick offense and the typical baby face attack early. Um, before Demolition come back with a cool double team, a sort of one of them lifts them up in the uh, that old heart attack position, but goes towards the ropes, and the other Demolition member leans over the ropes for the clothesline in a pretty cool variation of the heart attack. I really like uh, Axe and Smashing. I mean, especially considering 
they considered, I can't remember which one it was, I think it's Axe, to be a little bit too old, to not that far away from this point and bring in Crush. But I thought they were, they were fine. I mean, if you look a bit close at the, the makeup, you think, no, they're, they're a lot older than, than you think they are, but they're, they're wrestling great. I thought they were awesome. Yeah, Axe has some back problems in the up, upcoming years, but the early run of Demolition is amazing. Um, I don't think Crush is as bad as some people make out, but it was definitely a downturn for the, for the team. It's very rare you can add another person without diluting the any any team it just i can't think of it many times it's worked if if he ever has axe gets a slam for a two count and the heels isolate tito santana with rick martel becoming very frustrated on the apron smash hits a suplex for a two count and that jesse ventura does my favorite shtick criticizing referee joey morella which he would always do with gorilla monsoon on pay-per-view and irritate the shit out of Monsoon. Most people, I don't think anyone knew at the time, Joey Morella is actually Gorilla Monsoon's son. So that's just Ventura stitching up Gorilla Monsoon on commentary. Knowing that now, I always get a giggle out of it. It's, uh, yeah, I, I think I knew when I was listening, when I was watching it, and I just thought, yeah, that's, uh, that's just Jesse just being a bit of a dick. Yeah, no, no, maybe. But not dick of the night. No, no, not yet. I'll wait for that. <laughs> Tito Santana hits his patented flying forearm gets the hot tag to martell who comes in with a backdrop three drop kicks and locks on his um famous boston crab but with tito santana outside the ring fuji tosses axe the cane and nails rick martell with it tito santana begins beating on mr fuji in the ring as the referee counts three in a bit of an awkward finish because before the referee got there tito had peered back and it was caught on camera that he knew that his man was down but then turned and pretended to be oblivious, pounding on Fuji as they lost the straps. Um, that being said, new tag team champions, Demolition, and they begin here, the longest uh, tag team title reign in history up until the New Day broke it recently. What did you think about this one? Uh, great match. Really enjoyed it. I think uh, knowing what... Dem- I knew Demolition were going to obviously win and uh, win around here and then get that record. I just, I just thought they were they were really... They were, they were, I always thought they were Road Warrior rip-offs but actually, I, I think they, they were actually something of their own. I've always considered them similar to the Road Warriors, but not Road Warrior ripoffs. I, a lot of people will argue with me on that. They were different enough to the Road Warriors in every way. Uh, they certainly sold a lot more than the Road Warriors. That's, that's definitely a thing we could probably get into a little later on. But um, no, I, I big pop for me seeing Demolition. This was probably the, the match I was most looking forward to on the card, with the possible exception of the Battle Royal, and it didn't disappoint. It, it was pretty good. The one thing I can probably guarantee is when Demolition finally lost the belts, they made more of it than when the New Day beat the record and then lost the belts to Sheamus, who then lost it to Gallows and Anderson, who then... On the pre-show. You know, it's, it's, losing their record should be a massive thing, and, and having those belts should be prestigious, but in the spate of two months, he managed to take it from something that was quite like, oh, are they going to get the, the record to, oh, it's the tag teams. For modern day wrestling, records piss me off. They just make the show more predictable. Everybody knew the New Day were going to hold the belts until they beat Demolition's record. Everybody knew, who was it with the women's title that broke? Uh, yeah, Yep. We knew she was going to break A.G. Lee's record because she's in the bad books. And this whole Charlotte not losing on pay-per-view thing has ruined the women's title run coming into WrestleMania. Really, she was going to win all the matches on pay-per-view. She should have just held the belt till Mania and had the big feel-good moment, dropping it to Bailey or Sasha, whoever they wanted to go with. But to keep losing it on Raw and winning it back on pay-per-view is cutting the legs out of all of them. It's not doing them any favours because it just makes 
everyone besides Charlotte look like they they can't do big matches. Become their default women's championship booking style. To drop so if she if she's got a championship match, then it's on Raw. She's going to lose. So it loses all that interest of watching it. It can be in the main event and it doesn't matter. No. To drop it once to Sasha and get it back and hold it till Mania is fine. Like, I don't mind the odd title change, you know, back and forth. Like, a bit like the Rock and Foley before Rock finally went to Mania against Austin. But to drop it to all of your challenges in the lead-up, it's just, it, I don't care anymore. No, well, it's that, the, the way they seem to do it now. That they get to a certain point and then it's just going a holding pattern. Get bored of the new toy because it's the old toy and the new toy turns up then they're left with it like oh, I'm not interested in it exactly anyway we're getting back into 1988 we get Robin Leach bringing out in my opinion the greatest title belt ever made the classic 1980s WWF title that went all the way to Wrestlemania 14 it's, it's a fine belt it's, it's what you think of when you think of the belt we then get um, the ring announcer for the main event Bob Uecker who does a pretty good job announcing the participants it's Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, up against the Macho Man Randy Savage, who comes out with Elizabeth in matching white outfits for their fourth outfit of the night, and DiBiase comes out with Andre as his backup. Of course he does, because he's a dirty heel. <laughs> that pays off immediately as Andre trips up Savage. Um, we get a huge Hogan chant by the crowd who see where this is heading pretty much straight away. And then early on in the match, Andre actually gets a second trip on Macho, and... Ted comes off with a clothesline for a two count. Macho blocks a sunset flip, and then um, hits a um, Ted hits a back elbow. Macho Man hits a running elbow, jumps over the top rope with DiBiase for the clothesline, and then as he goes up top to come off the to the floor with the axe handle, Andre steps in the way. Macho Man sees where this is heading, goes over to his corner, whispers in Elizabeth's ear, and she heads out to the back. And we all know where this one's going. The crowd are gagging for her to bring Hogan out. Yeah, yeah, again. It's Macho's match, and they're all now shouting for Hogan. Yep, he is the master. So Liz goes, and it doesn't take too long. Ted DiBiase hits a fish drop. Uh, three of them, actually. The Hogan chant intensifies, even. And then Liz brings him out to a huge pop. Ted works a chin lock, allowing time for Hogan to get down the long ramp. And then Andre grabs the Macho Man, but Hogan is straight over there to save the day. DiBiase with a clothesline and an elbow for a two count, vertical suplex for a two count, gut wrench suplex for a two count, and then he goes for a slam and heads up top, but Macho Man grabs him and sends him flying. I think besides me and you, we, we were the only two people actually looking at the ring at this point because that the, the entire crowd is just fixated on what Hogan's doing. You can see the crowd uh, just watching him. It's a shame because... Because the, the match is actually really good. Yeah, absolutely. It's just overshadowed, isn't it? Yeah, um, we then get Macho Man missing his top rope, top rope elbow. The uh, Sorry, DiBiase locks in the Million Dollar Dream. But Hogan gets in the ring and nails him with a chair while the ref is distracted by Andre, allowing Savage to go up top, hit the top rope el drop, elbow drop for a three count, and Hulk Hogan immediately grabs a title belt and heads in the ring to hand it to Macho Man, stealing the spotlight. Yeah, and I think... Anybody will know what's going to win Dick Move of the Week <laughs> because there, there is this is Macho Man's winning a tournament to win the title. He doesn't win by not cheating. He doesn't win by beating the odds. He wins because Hogan came out and gave him a hand, 
and then Hogan's in the ring. He doesn't even pass him the belt and disappear. He's in the ring, mugging to the crowd. Macho Man doesn't look strong. Even the uh, Hogan's that smart. He even gets himself framed at the front of the, the camera shots. So Macho Man's in the back with Liz and the bell, but Hulk's actually the one that's at the front. It's just a dick move. I mean, people could argue that uh, Foley won his first title with Stone Cold Steve Austin running in, waffling the rock and running out again. But Austin ran in, helped Mick Foley, who was having serious problems with all the ministry and DX fighting, waffles the rock in a no-DQ match, and then Austin immediately disappears from the ring. He doesn't wait for, like, look at me, I just helped you win. Yeah, be- I just think it's, again, Hogan being a dick to Macho, which seems to just be a feature of any show that they're on. Yeah, it's no wonder he um, recorded that classic. Be a man of all. Come on, don't be scared. You're running from Macho, that's what I heard. Be a man of all. Come on, don't be a chump. I never thought Hulk would go wild like a punk. Be a man of all. Come on, don't be scared. You're running from Macho, that's what I heard. Be a man of all. Boy, use a chump. Because all Hogan is a real big punk. They call you Hollywood. Don't make me laugh. Because your movies and your acting skills are both crap. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't blame him. I mean, I'm sure they made plenty of money together, but he should have passed the belt and left. Everything else before that, if they want to book the match that way, I don't think it makes Macho look strong to, to go sell house shows. But, you know what, I'm not, I'm not in the booking committee and I've not got to deal with that. But if he'd have just passed the belt and went, there you are, there's the winner, and then disappeared or stood at the, even the ringside so people aren't watching him walk off, just get out of shot. Let Macho have his moment. I'd have had less of a problem had Hulk not hit DiBiase with the, with the chair. Had he just stopped Andre interfering and Macho nailed DiBiase, I'd be fine with it. Yeah, yeah, because he, he, he's not doing anything better than what Andre was doing. No. And then we've got the celebration. Hogan doesn't leave for any of it. Liz is genuinely in tears, which was kind of nice to see. It was obviously a big moment for her and Savage. And Savage doesn't seem to mind Hogan stealing his spotlight, so he really was a team player. And WrestleMania 4 goes off the air with Hulk Hogan, as you just heard, winning the dick move of the week, not for the first time. And Savage celebrating his first ever WWF title win with his at-the-time wife, Miss Elizabeth, in a huge moment that would change the, the face of the company momentarily. While Hulk went off to shoot No Holds Barred, the Macho Man would be the one running the show. Overall, the crowd are going home happy from WrestleMania 4, and that puts an end to the four-hour marathon that we had to watch to bring you part one of this podcast. Overall thoughts on the show before we move on? Overall, a little bit too long, but I, I guess they had to fill the time up. I just feel that they, after they'd had this, like, the three WrestleManias before, this is the one where they, they, they kind of ran out of ideas of what to do new, but hadn't quite got a format they wanted to follow. So I, I can't blame them for putting a tournament on. They work. You can do them in one night, but I think they tried to do too much with too many people and then put things on that didn't have finishes that just kind of deflated the watching experience like putting out Brutus the Barber and, and the Honky Tonk Man. They didn't need to be there besides the Honky Tonk Man was the Intercontinental title holder at the time. It just a bit of trimming and I think they would have gone from it was all right to it would have been pretty good. You can't knock Macho winning. It's it's a great moment besides what I just said about Hogan. He definitely it's time for him to, to run with a ball. I think this is a show that 
just in my memory, sort of under-promised and over-delivered. I was dreading watching this. Um, We talked about what shows we were going to do next, and you brought up that you wanted to do this one, and I kind of thought, yeah, we're going to do another show. Oh, fuck, I've got to watch WrestleMania 4. Um, But it was nowhere near as bad as I remembered. I think it could have been really good if they made this an eight-man tournament, just gave all those matches a little bit longer, cut a lot of the crap in between. It could have been a really solid show. The finish left a sour taste in my mouth, and there was some definite dregs on there, the likes of Brutus and Honky Tonk Man. Two guys I don't think I've ever seen have a good match with anybody, let alone each other. Duggan was kept to a minimum. I was happy with that. The um, the Islanders, Bobby Heenan, Bulldogs, Coco, I know you liked that. It was probably... It wasn't as good as it could have been, and I wouldn't have been too sad if it left. The Battle Royal and Demolition, though, were certainly high points for me. And Macho and Liz getting, you know, I guess the benefit to the four-hour show is that Macho goes through four matches to win the title. So despite the finish, he can say he was a true Iron Man of the tournament as he was the only one that wrestled four matches. Um, overall, a slight thumbs up. And I guess coming off the heels of WrestleMania 3, there was no heel challenger that could be as threatening as Andre. So a pretty creative way to get around that and do something different. So not too bad for me. Not the best WrestleMania, but certainly not down there with the worst either. Oh, there's far more dross than this. (laughs) Yeah, think two years prior and five years later, and you've got my picks for two of the worst of all time. Well, I know what I'm putting on my list of things to watch then. There's something great about watching rubbish wrestling. Yeah, um, you wait till I take you back to deeper in the 80s and I make you do AWA or something with me. Ooh, bit of Vern. <laughs> a lot of Vern. <laughs> Vern's probably where Hogan learned how to steal the spotlight. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can understand why those two didn't get on and therefore Vern booked himself out of business. That'll do it for WrestleMania 4. We're going to head over to Jim Crockett Promotions and see if the value you got on free TV was better than what you paid for here on pay-per-view. Are you ready to do it? Yeah, let's get on with it. Is Sting finally ready to knock Ric Flair off his throne and become the NWA World Heavyweight Champion? Question. With Dusty Rhodes at their side, will the Road Warriors take revenge on the men who brutalized them, Ivan Koloff and the Powers of Pain? Question. Are wrestling's new breed of young gladiators equipped with what it takes to be victorious on a day when anything goes? There are so many questions, and the time has finally come to find out the answers. Now, Superstation TBS presents Clash of the Champions. So, we are over to JCP for the first ever Clash of the Champions, and the opening video package asks us a lot of questions. Question, Richie, what did you think about this opening video? It's not not as slick slick as it could could be, be, but uh, I I guess guess at the time that uh, the the JCP didn't didn't have the money money nor the the, the knowledge that the WWE already learned about that at the point. Yeah, um, we had... um, it was actually, I believe, Dick Ebersole that introduced Vince to a lot of the production values, and WrestleMania 4 is definitely after the first Saturday night's main event that he worked in hand-in-hand with Dick Ebersole, and he apparently picked up a lot of his um, better techniques and higher production value and learnt the value of it after working with him. So you can definitely see the difference between WrestleManias 3 and 4 and WrestleManias 1 and 2. Um, production's definitely heading on the up on the WWF. Still very much in the 80s here when it comes to the video packages for this one. It's, it's, it's even, even the same, same now. now. I mean, if if, 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 if on products alone, even though the uh, the in ring might be better, but if you try and watch, and I never have, but uh, like a ring, ring of honor, honor, if you ever see things, the things, things that they put out, it's not, not that their products any worse. It's just, just it looks worse. And 
I agree. And um, speaking of being firmly in the 80s, we get welcomed by Tony Schiavone and Bob Cottle, and I immediately groan. But thankfully, it's not to be. We're told JR's waiting at ringside for commentary, so that perked me straight back up. Yeah, yeah I, I wasn't looking forward to this. Tony Schiavone is rocking one, one of the greatest tashes of all time. Oh, it's a thing of beauty. And um, we go to our opening contest, which is a bit of a strange one. Mike Rotunda, the future IRS, defending his television title up against Jimmy Jam Garvin. And this is a amateur rules match where there will be three rounds and you can win the title on a one count. I've never before or since heard of anything like this. We're, We're going to send out the future IRS, Jimmy, Jimmy Garvin, and Teddy Long Holler for, for a match that doesn't make much sense. Yeah, um, it's a bit of a strange one for me. It, I don't even think this was acceptable at the time. No, no and, and, and if, if anything, anything, if, if you, you would um and ah about, about watching WrestleMania 4 uh, and your man and dad had gone, nah, nah, nah watch, watch this free one. one. This, this is, is the point where you could have convinced him, him this is rubbish, can, can we get, get WrestleMania 4? 4? And the probably would have gone, yeah, yeah this, this is rubbish, rubbish. Let's, let's get WrestleMania 4. <laughs> Jimmy Garvin comes out with his manager, Precious, a bit of a jobber entrance there. And then the future IRS comes out with the man many conspiracy theorists believe killed Chris Benoit, and that would be Kevin Sullivan. Yeah, I'm firmly not in that camp. camp. Absolutely. As you said earlier, Teddy Long's the referee. Thankfully, we've got Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone settling down as the commentary team. We get a lock-up and a bit of jockeying for position. And we've got screaming women everywhere. I'm not really sure why. There's no heartthrobs in this one. Oh, uh, in the 80s, heartbeat and heartthrob was an entirely different thing. Fuck, I I needed to be older in the 80s. I'd have picked me some girls up. Yeah, I was was older in the 80s. Uh, We've got Mike Rotunda doing star jumps, which is strange to begin with as well. Um, Jimmy Garvin comes off with an arm drag, a hip toss, and a slam. Mike Rotunda comes back pounding on Garvin with a back elbow. Um... Jumps to the ropes on a pin attempt, but doesn't get anywhere near. Uh, Mike Rotunda takes control with a big clothesline um, and trying to get his shoulders down as round one comes to an end unsuccessfully. So the round system here a little bit weird, isn't it? I don't, I don't think, think it works, works unless, unless you're watching, watching Big, big Daddy in the 80s. Mike Rotunda, as the, the second round comes to a close, goes for a slam, uh, gets caught up top and then gets backdropped as well by Jimmy Garvin. Kevin Sullivan gets on the apron. Jimmy Garvin attacks him allowing Mike Rotunda to roll up Jimmy Garvin for a one-count for a stupid finish to a match. Yeah, yeah it's just, just not, not thought, thought through, through doesn't, doesn't pay off. It's, it's a stupid, stupid thing to put up against WrestleMania 4 straight off. It, 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 it's what I was saying earlier, it's NWA committee booking. You know, There's something to be said about just how flat it is watching the referee only count the mat once. That's it takes away the excitement of a finish in a wrestling match. Yeah, and, and also, the three count is very useful in case you've forgotten something like, like you're supposed, supposed to kick, kick out. Yep. You know, yeah, it's like, like one, oh, that's, that's a rage man. Because no, no one, one can, can do anything. anything. Absolutely, the ref, ref is going to hit that, that mat. He can't, like, like go one, two, three, 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 Absolutely. It's a stupid ending, but then the aftermatch shenanigans do sort of bring it back to life a little bit. Jimmy Garvin nails Mike Rotunda with the brain buster, goes on the attack to Kevin Sullivan, and then out comes Rick Steiner, who's in the Varsity Club with these guys here, who attacks him, 
and uh, Precious comes out and nails him. She gets a two by four, nails uh, nails the heels with that, then chokes Kevin Sullivan with a coat hanger, which is a fucking rough thing to see. And um, the heels do recover and try to get a hold of her, but Jimmy Garvin's recovered by this point and gets out of the ring um, before they're charged with attempted murder. Oh, oh, it's, it's an entirely, entirely different tone. Um, we go from there, and we've got Bob Coddle with Dr. Death Steve Williams, who is friends with Dusty Rhodes, who talks about the, um, the situation going on with him at the moment, the storyline. He'd been attacked by the powers of pain and Ivan Koloff, I believe. Um, he says that he hopes Dusty wins. He hopes Sting wins the title. He wants a title shot, and he'll be coming hard for anyone who's got it. It's a bad promo, this one. I just, I just have got Steve Williams promos are not a strong point. Please stop. Yeah. They then throw to a commercial break. Bob Coddle's not the best either, so really just a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's both, both rubbish. rubbish. Just, just get, get off, off TV, TV now. Please. please. So this has not had the greatest start so far. With a, a first match with some bad booking, first promo's not the best. We see if we can pick things up with our United States Tag Team title match, the Midnight Express up against the Fantastics. Um, so we start off with a, a bit of a brawl between all four men. They then head outside. It's a bit of a wild brawl. The crowd are really hot for it. Um, the Fantastics hit a double backdrop on Stan Lane. We've got tables and chairs flying all over before they finally get in the ring and the Fantastics take over control. Um, Bobby Eaton hits a nice flying clothesline before Sweet Stan comes in for some sweet chip music. I'll say it's a really nice, nice fast match. match. It is. The heels take turns on Tommy Rogers. Um, Eaton hits a good body slam and a top rope elbow. Stan Lane hits a nice gut wrench suplex and then they hit the demolition device as well, the uh, backbreaker into the elbow off the second rope. Um, my, I'm sat here with Brooklyn on my lap at this point watching this and she seems to hate it but I'm rather enjoying it, it's quite good uh, we get a slam on a table on the floor but the table's not erected so it's just lay flat which is a little bit weird um, we then get a bulldog on the floor which is rather sick and I've just got my notes here just say hot action this is really good it's just good, good sort of wrestling. wrestling absolutely we get a, a drop, toe hold, and an elbow drop, double team by the heels. Uh, Bobby Fulton's rather frustrated on the apron as Tommy Rogers is being worked over. We get a hot tag that the referee misses. So Fulton just comes in and nails the referee. Uh, they hit the rocket launcher. The new ref comes in and counts the three fall. But this is NWA in the 80s, so it's definitely a dusty finish. The referee wakes up and announces a disqualification. Jim Cornette comes in and nails both referees for some reason. And then we get a flapjack by the heels. And Jim Cornette takes off his belt and whips the absolute shit out of the baby faces. So, hot match. Dusty finish. But it didn't stop the action coming here. And the heels were vicious as hell. This was really good. I, I loved it. What did you think? Really enjoyed this match. I don't think the dusty finish was a problem. Because I don't think I've seen that many of them. I think, I think if I saw it every week, I would, would, uh, would definitely be more bored of it. This is a good example of the dusty finish allowing the heels to then go and get more heat, building for what would have been a really hot return match, probably with a bigger gimmick. But this was really... I, I can't stress enough. If you're not into 1980s wrestling and you don't get the hype around some of the names you've heard of and never seen, this is a match I think you genuinely enjoy. Um, if you have heard of the Midnight Express and you think of them in their late 40s, battling a very old pudgy rock and roll express. Go back and watch this and you might have a different thought. So from there, we go to Eddie Haskell, who is 
Ken Osmond from the new Leave It to Beaver. This is before my time. Um, he's with Jim Cornette, and it's a pre-tape promo, which probably should have been aired before the match, but whatever. It uh, doesn't really advance anything anyway. And then we get Gary Hart with Al Perez challenging Dusty Rhodes in another bad heel promo. Oh, sorry, Dr. Death was a face, but this is another bad promo. And I was a little disappointed because I, I, I heard so, so much, much, so much good, good things about him, but I was just like, like he's just, just, just poor. And, he's, and, he's, and, he's, and he's, again, they, they were putting this on free TV, TV and, and then you had this kind of level of promo when you've got, like, the world of the flares and they could have done something that would have got, got the crowd, crowd. Well, well, the TV audience might fired up. up. This, this was just a moth to get a cup of tea. Yeah, it was pretty bad. We then get a rundown of the top 10 teams for the upcoming Crockett Cup. Um, I didn't take note, but it's all the teams you'd expect. Road Warriors, Powers of Pain, etc., etc. Um, before we... The, 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 the person who did, did the, uh, the, the rundown, rundown actually had, had less charisma than Linda. Linda. <laughs> That's saying something. That's probably why I didn't take any notes. I must have fallen asleep. Yeah, it's horrendous. Absolutely. And holy fuck, we go to our next match. It's not. It's it's just a barbed wire street fight, and it's the powers of pain and Ivan Koloff up against the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, and the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Well, well I, mean, I mean, how bad could this be? I'm pretty excited for this, actually. Um, Animal goes on the attack against Barbarian early. It's it's a six-man brawl, so there's barbed wire intertwined with all the ropes, so all six men are in the ring, um, if you're trying to visualise what this looks like. Very much like the old ECW uh, PlayStation games with just barbed wire on the ropes, and if you get thrown into it, you bleed. Um, that's not too far from the actuality here. Um, Animal looks like Casey Jones from the Ninja Turtles because he's got a big white mask on, and I couldn't quite figure out why. I have no, no idea. idea. I can only really assume he was injured in the face. Yeah, that comes into play late in the match where they take it off him um, in an awkward spot. But before we get there, Hawk hits a nice press slam on Ivan Koloff. There's a lot of punching and walking, but the crowd are really hot, so they're getting away with it here. Um, there's a couple of awful DDTs by Dusty Rhodes, who has no business doing the move. And then a botched top rope punch by Hawk. The Warlord moves out the way, but still sells as though he's been hit. It was pretty awkward. Um, Animal hits a power slam and picks up a 1-2-3. The crowd loved it, but it was a bit of a dud for me. All six men sort of at walking pace, and the barbed wire didn't come into play enough for it to make up for the lack of action in the middle of the ring. What did you think? A bit 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 short short as well. well. I I never never seemed seemed to build build the peril. peril. They just went went out, punch, walk, punch, walk. I'm wondering if it's been hacked up on the network at all, if this is in its original form, because... It just it didn't seem to build to anything at all. And if you'd have told me before last week that I'd be watching Powers of Pain and Ivan Koloff, I don't know much about Ivan Koloff, but Powers of Pain, The Legion of Doom, Dusty Rhodes in a barbed wire match, and I'd be watching The Midnight Express versus The Fantastics, and that one would be far superior, I'd have laughed my head off at you. No, no, I and lastly, as well, in a bit of a production stumble here, they show a replay of Barbarian kicking at at Animal, which is in the point in the match where the mask comes off, but they do a slow-mo replay, and they show the boot doesn't knock the mask off, so Animal, with his own arm, has two goes at knocking the mask off his head as though he's selling and it's flown off. Really poor choice of slow-mo replay, and it undid any good work that the match did, which wasn't much to begin with. Uh, We then get Nikita Koloff lecturing kids on drugs for two minutes after the four biggest roided-up members of the roster have been on for the match. So that was a a little bit strange. 
From there, we go to our tag, world tag team title match. Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson, also known as the Brain Busters in the WWF, members of the Four Horsemen in NWA, up against Lex Luger and Barry Windham. Um, before the lockup, we've got a really hot crowd, and the um, heels double team on Lex, but he hits a double clothesline and a power slam on them, and puts Tully Blanchard in the rack nice and early, but Arn takes out the knee and then tags in. The heels take turns working over Lex's leg, who gets an early hot tag in the match, and Barry Windham comes in and takes over, hitting the lariat on Tully Blanchard, then a power slam for a two count to very big ooze. They thought that was the end, the lariat being one of his big moves. Locks in a sleeper, but he falls through the ropes with Tully, managing to keep the sleeper on on the outside in a very strange spot. Um, Arn Anderson comes out and revives Tully on the floor, who goes up top but gets press slammed off for his troubles before Barry Windham locks on an abdominal stretch. JJ Dillon distracts the referee, allowing Arn Anderson to come in and hit his lovely DDT for a two count, a spine buster for a two count, before Tully comes back in and has a head clash with Barry Windham. Windham gets up and hits a gut wrench suplex. Arn comes in with a snap mare, and Tully Blanchard hits his lovely slingshot suplex for a two count. Before we get our second hot tag of the match, Lex Luger coming in and attacks both. Double knock and nogger. Uh, the crowd never stopped during this, by the way. They're hot all the way through. All four men come in. JJ Dillon's got a chair, but Lex Luger reverses Arn, sending him into the chair, and picks up the three count for a surprise finish. New tag team champions, and a hell of a big pop from the crowd. The crowd uh, love this. this. They, they seem, seem to be, be pretty, pretty happy, happy with, with the, uh, the, the choice, choice of champions. champions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wyndham and Luger, big faces here, and both look great as well. Look young, muscular. Um, good choice for champions here, and um, that could be a good series of matches. We'll see how it pans out. Or um, this being 88, I don't think we're too far off Tully and Arn rocking up in the WWF, so we'll have to see what happens next. It seems it weird thinking that Arn Anderson and Tully is in the WWE, looking at the match that we've just seen. From there, it's pretty early. It's time for our main event, um, which is Sting challenging Ric Flair for the World Heavyweight title. Um, before the match gets underway, we get introduced to our judges, and my note just says, judges, what could go wrong? Yeah, uh, talk, talk about uh, giving away the ending before the match has started. That's my biggest gripe with NWA WCW, is I know the dusty finishes annoyed people, the over-the-top rope DQ annoyed people, what always annoyed me the most, and I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast before, is the giving away of finishes with what they do, the, especially TV title matches. But this one here, like you see the three judges and you just think they're going to disagree and we're going to have a draw. That's my first thought when I see them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, that's how we introduce. We've got a 45-minute time limit as well. Um, and J.J. Dillon is suspended above the ring in a shark cage a la Chris Jericho recently. I wonder if someone was watching the, uh, the first class. I've idea. They probably knew this was coming up on the podcast and thought they'd better get up to speed. Well, I mean, they, 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 they uh, always cash in. <laughs> so, Sting comes out to some very generic rock music, which upsets me greatly because a man called Sting is one of my favourite cheesy themes. Yeah, yeah, I was disappointed he wasn't a man called Sting at this point. And we've got a very big fight feel on the intros. This feels like a heavyweight title boxing match more than a wrestling match to me in the way the crowd's reacting to this. It definitely uh, promote it as this is our main, this is our main event for our heavyweight championship. This is legit. We get woos from both Sting and uh, Flair. And then Sting stalks Ric Flair, no-selling any of his strikes. Sting looks very big here as well, but unfortunately the look is undone with his dorky rat's tail at the back. 
yeah, yeah it's, it's not, not a great, great look. Um, Ric Flair comes off uh, early with a wrist lock. The crowd's very hot as Sting powers out of it, though, and no-sells some chops before hitting a huge hip toss and a big drop kick. Um, this was really cool. No, go on. No, I was just saying, yeah, the build is just, just perfect. Just like the last time we had 80s wrestling going head-to-head in WCW and WWF, we get a hammerlock, but don't worry, this one's not going to feature on the scale because it doesn't last very long. Uh, we get a great series of ducks and leaps and a big press slam by Sting. JR calls it the Gorilla Press. It's, uh, I love, love JR, JR in any period he's commentating. He's just... He, 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 people, people don't think he's, he's ever changed, changed but actually he, he morphed really well and would still, still manage to, to, to commentate like, like five, six years ago and still didn't feel outdated. He just, just sounded like, like, if anything, he's just, just like, like, I can't bother with this rubbish anymore. I can't believe the WWF notorious for not liking Southern guys took the most Southern guy in WCW and made him more Southern. That's what I've always never understood about JR. Yeah. Sting hits a cool head scissor takedown, which was, you know, pretty impressive. I never knew that was part of his arsenal before hitting a hip toss and getting a two count. And in another moment of foreshadowing that drives me nuts, the uh, PA announces five minutes gone in the match. Yeah. yeah. Also, also, I don't, I don't think, think it helps, helps because you don't, don't it brings you out of how long you've spent. We get told on commentary, and this I did like because this helped flip it a little bit back the other way, that we had standby matches in case we had TV time remaining when this ended. One of them being Shane Douglas up against Larry Zabisco, and I'm gutted we didn't get to see that clinic. I mean, I mean, I, mean, I, I thought, thought this was good, good but, but now. now. <laughs> I mean, why couldn't it wrapped up a bit sooner? <laughs> Bastards. Um, we get a really good quick series and moves backwards and forwards before we get a side headlock takedown by Sting for a two count. Um, he's... I've got here that Sting's a step ahead on every series of moves, so they, they do trade offense quite a bit. It sounds like Sting's doing everything, but he just always comes out on top at, at the end of each sequence. And it's pretty much taken a pattern of quick burst of offense, Sting grabs a hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the flair's strength, not that he's not, not a great, great wrestler, wrestler is, is taking a bit of offense, taking a bit of offense, and then healing it up. Absolutely. Sting does miss a drop kick, which allows Flair to get um, some some uh, separation time here but he's been so beaten down that he hits the Greg Valentine-esque flop <laughs> I think I think Rick Flair might argue uh, who, who came, came up with that, that flop first, first. Absolutely. they exchange blows in the corner before Sting hits another press slam and Rick Flair begs off Sting then locks in a bear hug for a bit of a long sequence and does put the nature boy down to the mat and in the bear hug pins him for a two count as the announcer tells us that 15 minutes have elapsed in the match Again, let you know how long's gone. Yep. He beats on his chest but misses an elbow drop, then hits an elbow drop on the buckle. Um, is, as in he hits his elbow on the buckle, doesn't hit the elbow. Sells the arm, and Ric Flair hits an inverted atomic drop before they go outside for a bit of a brawl. Ric Flair then begins to work over Sting's back and then hits a couple of knee drops before Sting sends Flair out but misses him with an arm to the ring post. Flair then goes back onto the arm, but Sting does get out of it and puts on the Scorpion Deathlock. Flair, however, gets to the ropes as the commentators tell us 25 minutes have now elapsed. And even at this point, not not boring. No, not at all. We then get a big beal. Sting misses his Stinger Splash in the corner and goes so high that he hits the post and goes outside the ring in a very cool spot. 
When he does get back in and on offense, he hits a top rope crossbody for a two count before Flair goes to his patented offense and starts working over the leg of Sting. The crowd is starting to get really hot at this point as well. They're really into the, the quick offense in the, the long periods of time this match has gone for. We get a sh- nice shim breaker from Flair and then a nice back suplex as the common, uh, the announcer tells us 30 minutes have now gone in the match. So it doesn't feel like half an hour at this point though, does it? I knew I, knew I was, was going to get the full 45 minutes. minutes. I didn't, didn't want to take it out of the match with, with, the, uh, with the time. To me, it seemed kind, kind of not needed because the rest of the fans, you know what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Flair puts on a figure four and he's holding the ropes. Sting's shoulders hit the mat and he gets a two count out of it. Um, it gets reversed after a little while. Sting then reverses a suplex from the apron, bringing Flair back in. Nice delay on his vertical suplex as well. Tries for a splash, but Sting gets the knees up. Then Sting comes back on offense with an abdominal stretch as we get told there are 35 minutes gone. Seems to be every time a submission moves locked in, they announce the next series of minutes, so that's a bit of an interesting tidbit as well. Flair goes up top, but as usual is caught. Sting sends him flying, and then Ric Flair goes leg first into the post and um, puts a figure four leg lock on. It doesn't last for too long. Sting comes back with a 10 punch spot. Throws Ric Flair to the buckles, who does his typical corner flip. The crowd are going nuts as we're told that 40 minutes are gone. Ric Flair puts on a sleeper, but is run into the corner, and both men go to the ground. We get a two-minute warning. Ric Flair goes for a pin with the ropes, but the referee spots it. Sting reverses a crossbody for a two-count. We're told there's one minute left. We hit the Stinger Splash, the Scorpion Deathlock, and the announcers counters down with Ric Flair holding on for dear life, and we go the full 45 minutes for a time limit draw. What did you think? I mean, I didn't, I didn't see, see that, that coming. coming. <laughs> uh, I, I, thought, thought was, I, I, I thought it was actually an amazing, amazing match. match. I, wasn't I wasn't looking forward to it, uh, because I, I, I wasn't sure if it was this. I don't, I don't tend, tend to look at the match card before I watch the, the, the things in case get spoilers, because nothing, nothing makes me want to not watch a match, match more than knowing who's going to win after red spoilers, so I did and, and I, thought, I, thought, I thought it was, it was the 45, 45 minutes between Flair and Sting. I wasn't particularly looking forward to it. But uh, I, thought I thought it built, built really, really well. well. And I think it ebbed and flowed. And, 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 and it didn't go, go too, too quickly. quickly. Yeah. And, 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 and the, the end actually wasn't, didn't, wasn't deflating. I thought it was really good. good. I mean, I mean doing, doing a time draw and at the end of it, you're like, no, that's pretty good. I thought it was overall really, really good match. Absolutely. We then get the judge's decision here, and this is the, the only disappointment to an otherwise brilliant match. One judge goes Flair, one goes Sting, and typically the third judge declares it a draw, meaning the match ends in a draw. Ric Flair re- retains his heavyweight title, and I'm not going to focus on that singular point simply because this was one of the best matches the podcast has seen so far. Um, this is one of the matches I've heard about but never watched. I've heard rave reviews, and I've never... I like Flair, I like Sting, I don't want this to sound negative at all, but I've never had a great interest in seeing them have a 45-minute time limit draw. Watching this, I was completely wrong. This is fascinating, it's held up brilliantly. It is definitely one of the best matches I've watched to review for this show, and I would recommend, if like me, it's never taken your fancy, go back and watch it, because you could spend 45 minutes watching far worse wrestling than this. When old wrestlers on podcasts tell you that they think it should be done slower and wrestling too quick now, and you think that they're just being old, go watch this match, and it proves their point 100% that you can do a slow match and it is as interesting, and you don't need to half kill yourself 
to do it because, because I bet that after that match, Flair and Sting went, went into the next town the night after and just wrestled, wrestled probably another 45-minute match and didn't even notice that they had won the night before because it's just, it's just, just wrestling done, done, done well. well. I absolutely loved it. Now... As far as the um, the show overall, what did you think? Was this something that, for free TV, do you think you got... Uh, you obviously got value for money in comparison to WrestleMania, but do you think they put on a show worthy of going head-to-head with Mania? I think that for free TV, a uh, couple, couple of odd, odd, odd things, things aside, aside, I think, I think, I think it, it helps, helps sell what they, they were doing. doing. Certainly, if, if you, you didn't, didn't watch, want to watch, watch the kid WWE, you had, had the perfect uh, alternative to it in this, because there's, there's no, no part of this that is even... I don't, I don't want, want to say family-friendly, but in comparison to the WWE, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's no one to chant for, or there's no one to sort of like be part of that movement. And I think that overall, it's a good show. I think they did well. And instead of trying to do the TNA thing of being like they, all, all the, uh, they, they get, get wrong, they, they get, get right by doing the NWA, JCP way. They, 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 they stuck to their guns and put on the best show they could following their own rules and didn't try and change. I, thought, I, thought, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was great. Um, big, big plus for me. I thought the show overall very much worthy of competing with WrestleMania. I thought it out. It superseded all my expectations. Um, it, it did a lot of good things. And, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it was 80s wrestling, so I didn't expect it to be. It highlighted a new challenger with a classic champion. It just it did so much well that I have to say I didn't regret going back and watching this. It's not one of them things where, like, the bunkhouse stampede, I thought this is why I don't want to review 80s wrestling. Um, WrestleMania four took me a long while to get through this, only due to technical difficulties difficulties did i not get through it in one sitting the iron man sorry the the main event i had to watch on an ipad because several days in a row i couldn't get it to to work smoothly and i wasn't willing to watch this match in installments and i'm glad i didn't because it was definitely worth the 45 minute investment of time definitely well that's a point we can pick up later on perhaps and find out if it went against any significant show from any company that we can have a look at i'm, I'm, I'm sure, sure there's something somewhere yeah well that's it that's a discussion probably for another day or maybe the end of the show we've got both of them in the bag now do you want to head straight over and pick ourselves a winner
Okay, so we're back to pick ourselves a winner between the two shows here, WrestleMania 4 and Clash of the Champions. Um, first category, as always, we're going to look at production value. Who have you got taking the deuce in this one? WWE, uh, we discussed it in the actual show, and they, they, they've just got more experience in doing it. Uh, it's not something that the, the, the NWA won't get to a certain extent, but uh, WWE is just, it's just better. It's night and day, and I think... It's no more evident than just looking at the shots coming into matches. You've got that long ramp in an arena that looks full. It probably is full. And it looks like a big deal. It's a WrestleMania entrance. And then you've got a small arena with concrete around the ring and a small-looking crowd in NWA. And it just isn't shot to look like a big deal, whereas... WWF, they've, especially in recent years, have had a lot of shows not sold out, and you can't tell watching at home. They've made it look like a big crowd always, and that's the most evident part. But, I mean, there's a few gaffes along the way as well, and uh, I don't necessarily think they had the best promo men in between spots either, so it didn't flow as well. Um, but WWF definitely takes a win for me here too. Um, storyline, this will be an interesting one. Um, who did you have for storylines? Well, actually, this, this, this is one I was, I was pondering because I'm actually really interested to see what happened between Flair and Sting going on because I thought they sold it so well in the match. However, uh, overall, I can't not go WrestleMania 4. I know what's coming. I'll admit entirely, I know what's coming. And that's like, uh, is it two years worth of storyline, basically? Uh, so you've got WrestleMania 5, and then even then it kind of sets up leading into WrestleMania 6, I think. Sorry, it changes the company with Macho Man winning and forming mega powers. And for me, I've got to, I think I've got to give it to WWE. I also think they kind of did set up other things within the tournament. And, and like I said, said Jake, Jake and Rashi Rue still got, got to go, go on. So, so I, I think I'm probably going to do WWE on this. I tend to agree with you. You've also got just a few other little tidbits as well. You've got the teasing of a Bret Hart face turn, which while didn't pay off immediately, did help the company build for the future. Um, you've got the seeds planted for the breakup of Strike Force, which I believe a year from now kicks off. So another thing that, that sort of started for a 12-month build. Macho and Hulk get about 18 months out of this rivalry, and they do huge business. So you can't disagree with that story. And um, it didn't kill off Hogan and Andre, should they want to revisit that later on. Andre's definitely on the decline, but his star power didn't take a bashing in this. And you've got a ready-made challenger for Macho in DiBiase. They, they, they did a better job, but I guess they're longer to... To, to work, work with. with and, and also they, they don't, don't have the committee again to mention that the, the NWA probably going, going forward they, they probably had eight people wanting to do different things with Flair yeah. I guess the win column for Clash of the Champions is they made a star in Sting and that's the best storyline advancement they had the US tag title match probably built for something bigger and Lex and Wyndham winning the belts was a, was a good storyline uh, wrap-up that may be revisited later, but the other matches probably didn't do a lot for storyline advancement, and the promos might have built for future stories, but they didn't look like anything I'd want to watch. No, no, no there's nothing, nothing exciting about Steve Williams and Alperes. So that's two for two with both of us for the WWF. This is going to be an in- interesting one as well. Who have you got taking the gong for characters? Oof. I, I think, think character-wise, 
I, I don't know. I'm stumped on that one. I, I think, again, at the end of the day, JCP is a lot of men wearing pants, doing good wrestling. That's what they did. Character-wise, besides like Sting, they're all, especially in this show, I thought they all started to blend together a little bit. They're all great wrestlers, whereas WWE, every character has a set gimmick, and they work within that gimmick. And as much as I don't like Jim Duggan or Greg the Hammer Valentine or I couldn't split it. I actually went a tie because they each had all their big names on and um, they both made a new main eventer in Savage and Sting. So I, I couldn't split it at all myself. Um, whether you prefer serious wrestlers or the camp entertainment is a personal choice. But for who showcased the better characters, I, I really couldn't pick a winner. I think, I think they, they both, both did exactly, exactly what, what they, they set out to do with their characters. characters so, I mean, a tie is set on that thing. Nobody, Nobody tried, tried to do something, something they weren't known, known for. And then that, that's, that's good. good. They, they pushed it exactly, exactly as they, they, they should have done. done. Now, for crowd heat, which way did you go? I think, I think oddly, oddly, overall, I think, think unless, unless it was might differently, I, I, I thought, thought there was a lot more more heat for the, the, uh, the clash, clash, especially with, with Ric Flair and Sting, and also the, 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 the noise that's made while well, the Fantastic the Midnight, Midnight Express wrestling is phenomenal given the size of the arena. Now, now, now the WF getting big, big cheers, but I just feel like a certain part of that uh, hotel guests who were copying the other people, oh, they know Hulk Hogan's. So, I actually agree with you. That's what I put too. Um, it's not as clear-cut as I thought it would be for two reasons. One, WrestleMania has three times the number of people in attendance. But secondly, knowing that there were a lot of you know hotel guests and comps and whatnot, the crowd at Mania was decent. It wasn't bad. I, I can't say they were a terrible crowd by any stretch. And they didn't just pop for Hogan, though he was far and away the most popular person on the night. Um Jake and um, Jake got good pops. Duggan got good pops. Macho got good pops. Um, but the NWA crowd were white hot. They were screaming mad. They were crazy for Jimmy Garvin, which beggars belief. Um, Sting was massively over. The tag title change, um, Lex and Barry Windham got mega pops. And the US tag title match got huge heat the entire way through. So I, I agree with you. 6,000 made more noise than 18,000. And it'd be a travesty to go the other way. So that brings us to the big one, match quality. Gotta, Gotta be, be the clash. clash. For me, uh, there, there wasn't... wasn't was there a clash? I, I, I think, think even the, the, the opening match was a stupid idea, idea but I still think the actual quality wasn't that bad. bad. It wasn't beefcake and honky-tonk. Or, 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 you know, it wasn't, wasn't that level. level. Uh, I, mean, I mean, Rick and uh, Flair and Sting alone would, would probably win match quality for me, but every one of the matches was interesting and different. And really highlighted the kind of wrestling that I probably... Taking the, the piss, piss out, out of before, before. The, the, uh, the, the, the the kind, kind of southern like less, less not, not fancy but, but the, the, the less WWE style this is actually a lot better than what the other side were doing yeah no I 100% agree with you the Clash of the Champions had better matches WrestleMania 4 had better matches than I thought it did, but it still didn't have anything that touched this US tag title match and didn't have anything that came close to Sting and Flair. Two matches that I did not think I would love, I loved. Um, Mania 4, I didn't think I'd like most of the matches, and I did like quite a few of them, but there was nothing I loved on that show. Um, certainly not for match quality. I love the Battle Royal, and I love Demolition picking up the win, and I love Savage getting his moment in the sun, but I didn't love the matches that they came from. Um, I liked them, but that was it. Clash of the Champions, it blew me away for... 
I've watched a few of the Clash of the Champions. I probably mentioned on the show before that before I started the podcast and I got the network, I just started watching the 90s. I decided the 80s were a bit of a write-off, but I'd start watching everything in order in the 90s. I threw that out the window. I got halfway through 94, and the podcast made more sense to start in 95, so I skipped ahead. But I never got anywhere near this stuff, and I'm regretting not starting a little bit later if this is some of the quality you could expect to see. It definitely will sell me on watching, watching more. I mean, I'm sure, sure at some, some point I'm going to regret that decision. I'm going to hold uh, to it, though. It's even maybe more interesting, no joke, about some AWA or maybe some WCCW, that kind of stuff, because just this is like when wrestling was completely different. Yeah, absolutely. And... um. That's going to make it a little bit tricky for us to pick our overall winner because I went a, a dead tie. You lent towards the WWF in characters, which in numerical would probably put them about a half a point ahead. But I think for me, match quality weighted more than the other categories here. And length of the show is something that I took into account when deciding what I thought was the better card. The, this was... Very, very close, but I enjoyed the Clash of the Champions more than I enjoyed WrestleMania Four. What if you just had to pick which one you thought was, which one you enjoyed more? Which way would you lean? The Clash. I've, 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 I've much, much preferred discussing the, the Clash uh, on, on this podcast. podcast. I just, I just have got, got better memories, memories even, even even though I watched the other week, week of, of, of it. it. I think, I think WrestleMania Four does because you know what's coming with Mega Powers, but actually the show taking on its own got to be the Clash. I when I did. Royal Rumble 88 against the Bunkhouse Stampede. Bunkhouse Stampede was probably the worst show I've watched for the podcast, and Rumble 88 won because it was slightly better than the worst show I've watched on the podcast. Coming into these two, I, I dreaded it, and WrestleMania 4 outlived my expectations because I thought I remember that as being quite boring. Clash of the Champions didn't outlive boring. It was a good show. I can't say WrestleMania 4 was a, a very good show. The Clash, I can, and that hour 45 when the commercials are cut out seemed like about 45 minutes in total to me it flew by so yeah strong recommendation to watch it i'd watch both if you've got nothing better to do but clash of the champions is is must see viewing so that's it for for this episode we've got another couple of old school pay-per-views in the bag i guess for us we really probably should wrap up the trilogy at some point and do the survivor series 87 up against starcade you interested in in jumping on for that Absolutely. I think we've got a nice little niche going with the retro stuff now, which fits in nicely because we can throw it in wherever we feel like without having to let our times, our timelines and lives get in the way of keeping the, the numerical order. I really enjoy doing the two-man shows for pay-per-view, so definitely I think sometime in the next month or two we should line that one up and do that one again. Um, as far as the podcast goes, we've got a few more things in the timeline. We've got to get through another couple of Raw and Nitros, and then I'm going to be doing the big Royal Rumble pay-per-view episode coming up soon. Um, look out for that with myself and Carl. And Duncan from Then Now Whatever has got in touch with me this last uh, week and we're going to be jumping back into our WWE versus TNA series very soon as well so there's a lot of different stuff coming up um, and if you haven't heard already go and check out the last episode of the Raw Attitude podcast where I joined Henry on a very enjoyable 1998 Raw show so that was good fun as well 
if you've not yet, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It's been a while since we had one of them. And um, get in touch as well. We're always looking for more con- contributions to the show. Drop us an email at rawisnitro at hotmail.com and catch us on 4CR as well. Um, anything you want to plug or any message you want to send out before we sign off? Well, well thanks, thanks for having me on again. again. And, and if, if anyone, anyone wants to talk wrestling, I'm, I'm at Richie Sexton on Twitter. I'll, I'll get, get into, into any debates about wrestling from any time period. period. I'm always interested in a debate on uh, whether Shane Douglas was a great deal in ECW or is it just a time thing because I don't understand it. That makes two of us that don't understand Shane Douglas. Maybe we'll get on and do some ECW and rip it to shreds soon, hey? ECW is certainly an interesting prospect. On that note, that's a lot of stuff coming up for the future. But for now, enjoy this one and we will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks for listening. Yo. Yo, oh, yo, Ray, I can't feel my face, my heart pounding and shit, paranoid as a motherfucker right now, who the fuck closed them blinds and shit, who that, Captain Kirk, this fuck is the stock enterprise, the enterprise shit outside or some shit, oh, I need some pussy now, I'm ready for a cat woman or something, fuck it, fuck it, let's go. Hey yo, hey yo, Sharif, go to store for me, whoever got the kilos got the candy, I need man. some raisins in the fresh box of baggies. It was with the tenor. You never catch the kid going hand in hand. Yo, son, turn that water down a little bit. Slow bit. Once you got the funds, you got the panties, man. Two waters. A Dutch and a cranberry snap. Throughout I-95, I'm the handyman. Racing through the hood, ski mask off. Criminology, hustle with goons, play the heat blast off. In every direction, protect your babies, your moms. Late night, like Carlson Daily, Dio Bailey, we stay on. Rich box, vacuum tight, concealing the powder. Five fake cans of blow to throw them off with the flower. Red dots on me, big scopes. Bullets the size of nickels, got stalky coming out of his coat. I got the jet, don't look back, my cardio's killing me. Oh, ladies, it's like, hold your head tone, literally. All this for a thousand grams? What? I'd rather be a con or a scheming with a thousand scams. Whoever got the kilos got the candy, man. You never catch the kid going hand in hand. Once you got the funds, you got the panties, man. Scarface niggas, we getting right. Some call it bricks, some call it birds. How many niggas get their lives took and playing with shit? Then catch a curve, you can go to jail. Get caught with this, niggas will grow to fail. Stop playing, pot slaying, bacon, soda, and scales. They live like brothers, we're life. Connect, discover, most niggas get hard from fucking with them pipes and hustlers. Kilos is 1,000 grams. You know your ammo better be heavy, cause soon kids is coming in camo. Protect your land, daddy, I'm an announcer. You get caught with an ounce, it's over. Matter of fact, they're taking you down. Whoever got the kilos got the candy, man. You never catch the kid going hand in hand. Once you got the funds, you got the panties, man. Throughout I-95, I'm the handy man. Bricks, chalk caps, powder. Cooked up crack, phones is tapped over Franklin stacks. Kingpins putting bullpins. Old connects get paro. Break out of town when the Jakes take down the Pharaoh. Reason he was moving that Peruvian white. Blowing coolies in.
in the hoopty, slamming cuties and ice. Big heavy pots over hot stoves, mayonnaise jars and water with rocks in them. Got my whole project out of order. Kilo is a thousand grams, beige gold brown, dirty fluffy tin. Extract oil, you come from Cuban plants. The chemists is brolic, Pyrex scholars, professors at war, overall killing partners for a million dollars. Whoever got the kilos got the candy, man. Kilo is Catch the kid going hand in hand. All around the world today, the kilo is a measure. Once you got the funds, you got the panties, man. Kilo is one thousand grams. Easy to remember. Throughout I nearly five, I'm the handsome man. Your drug dealer's destiny is reaching the kick. I'd rather be the man behind the door supplying the streets. A hundred birds go out looking like textbooks when they wrapped in stuff. Four days later, straight cash, two million bucks. Strictly powder, no cut. Your coke is balanced. What's up? Y'all beefing over little shit. We sniffed the balance. Went up in the or a penthouse, office or a warehouse Tony got it nice, we never heard of any big droughts Kilo is a thousand grams, a pile of sand is equivalent to the eye It's nice to have a thousand fans, coke buyers, some be liars Therefore you check for wires, dedicated dealers during holidays We give them lighters Red tops, blue tops, green tops, yellow tops, purple tops, beige tops, white tops, gray tops, black tops, clear tops, gold tops, pink tops, silver tops, tan tops, aqua tops, armor tops, tall tops, long tops, short tops 12, 12s, 58, 58s, weed bags, ziplocs, big rocks, cold spots, two glocks, one ox, crumbs chop, hot pots, one plate, crack spot. All around the world today, the kilo is a measure. Whoever got the kilos got the candy, man. Kilo is one thousand grams, easy to remember. You never catch the kid going hand in hand. All around the world today, the kilo is a measure. Once you got the funds, you got the panties, man. Kilo is Pyrex whipping it like UPS. Pack it up, shipping it. Whether base or sniffing it, I got you fixed. The story's foretold like apocalypse. It was me, Mike, and TT handing out freebies. Taking over blocks, telling niggas to beat feet. But Big Brother Bond will leave your body in the street. Something kind of like how I be body in the beat. We was 300 deep like the Persian soldiers. Word spread fast, we were serving boulders. Ten crack commandments, holy Moses. If it don't fit, must acquit. Isotoners, never could they hold us. Finger to the stitches. The New York niggas be taking all our bitches. But we'd be goddamn if they taking all our business. Duct tape, hog tie, CSI. Catch the kid going hand in hand. All around the world today, the kilo is a measure. Once you got the funds, you got the panties, man. Kilo is one thousand grams, easy to remember. Throughout I ninety five, I'm the handyman, handyman, handyman.